So I found the Lyceum to be a very interesting opportunity to consider how our past can inform our future, how we can inspire it, um, and really look at the needs of our forefathers and foremothers and what's possible today. So um, if you would go to the next one, because I've uh, in the agenda and I'm following this on my phone, it's really like, well, why me? <laughs> why am I doing this? Um, and then to give a historical overview about the Lyceum and certain points that I find of great interest um, in my effort to look at this as a vehicle for our, our present and our future, the topics and guests that were covered, and then the topics and guests that could be considered um, for reviving the Lyceum. So in the next one, why me? You know, so I, my thing is music and neuroscience, like what am I doing up here? But I became very, very interested in the 250th anniversary tour of uh, celebration of the founding of Northborough. And most of you would probably know that First Parish was up and going as a church for 20 years before it sponsored the founding of the town of Northborough. You had to have somebody, you had to have a sponsorship by a church. There had to be enough people that supported a church that would support a town. And as you heard, Reverend Allen uh, was the third town minister. Um, and so the, most of the taxes went to the supporting of the church and the townhouse, which was the meeting house at the time. But why I got involved was learning about the pandemic of 1749 to 50, which was before the pandemic that we just went through. And even in the graveyard toward, I heard nothing about the children. So 60 children in this community died. And as, as a woman, as a mother, it just gutted me. I can't even imagine the grief that our earliest um, relations, our brothers and sisters of yore experienced in the loss of 60 children. There weren't enough families for that to mean that there was just one from each family plucked. I mean, people lost multiple children and then they had to wait until the spring to bury them. And that just slayed me. That sparked my interest in history in Northborough. Um, that, um, and it just started to snowball from there, honestly. At about the same time, I was learning more about my own history um, and seeing that. So my family uh, grew up in Sandwich. My father, they basically were there since the Mayflower, um, they got as far as Sandwich and there they stayed put. And the boardwalk that I've always loved to walk on, if you've ever been to Sandwich, was built by my great-great-grandfather and the town hall. So I started to get very interested in um, history and especially in reading the Mayflower um, and knowing that it was my relation that fell off the boat and happened to come back on. Um, and, and I am a descendant as well as people who spoke at the Lyceum. Um, so I found that that's what really jacked me up. Um, so I do serve on the regional school board and I see tremendous needs um, in modern day education. Um, I would not even, not casually say this, but modern education is killing our children. The uh, levels of stress and anxiety now are yet another epidemic, and actually they were epidemic before this pandemic. Um, and this gives me grave concerns. So I thought, well, maybe the Lyceum could help to speak 
to some of these topics. Um, and so I started to come here as a way of conjoining my work and my devotion to First Parish to those children, to that history. Um, and for any of you who have not been to First Parish, there is a history of the church and community and its ties to the community hung at the meeting house. And I'd be glad to invite you all to see that at any time. Um, I'm trained as a researcher, so that was the easy part. Um, what was interesting to me is that I've been going to Boston Conservatory since 1976. And then now I teach at Berkeley. And on the corner between the two is the Mass Historical Society where I had never been. Although I like to peek in and at dark so I can see like the moldings and the, the interior design. So I started to go there as a researcher and that has helped feed my curiosity, um, which is something that's never left me and is the gift of my education and probably my own personality. And this is definitely something I see killed out of children is curiosity. So I'm here to just put a stake in the ground of a curious mind. And um, I've always thought that I was an endless optimist, um, despite my understanding of the world around me. I was born the day Jack Kennedy was elected, um, and I think somehow that Camelot sprinkled into my DNA. So all of these brought me here tonight in this very unusual situation, at least for me. So in the next slide, Looking, I love to look up the um, etymologies of words, and lyceum is an odd word for sure, but it came from the Greek, and so at the top, in this bended way, is the area that had been the lyceum um, outside of Athens, where Aristotle and the learned people of the day considered the topics of the day um, in the various communications that they had, um, which I love learning in community. So as we consider in the next slide, the Lyceums in the US, um, the Lyceums were around pre and post Civil War and they actually involved the uh, mechanics institutes and agricultural organizations like the Grange, which our sweet neighbors have just moved in and have been uh, rehabbing. And so this was an important part of adult education in, in America. And it was primarily meant for the men, but certainly um, that need not be the case today. So the first ly lyceum actually was formed in Millbury by Holbrook. Um, and what they were looking for at that time was a way to help people um, be educated and civil, not just civilized, but to be civil and addressing these topics at the time. All of the lectures included um, the arts. These were truly community events. People were not just talked to. There would be a talk and then a debate would follow. Um, they would have arts at these events and there were traveling troops of both lectures and artists that would go through. So um, it began here and you can see in this early quote, to procure for youths an economical and practical education. And by economical they meant free or there were very inexpensive subscriptions that people could take. This was meant to occupy farmers during the winters, um, and so it gave them something to do, which I, I really like that notion of coming together in that way. So they were looking to diffuse rational and useful information. I will say, sitting on the school committee, there have been times that it, there were, uh, that wasn't the case from 
the witnessing and the letters that we get. It was not rational. There was a lot of false information out there. And false news is not new. That has circled through our societies in the past. But this was um, really important to see that this was addressed in those ages. Um, and they were looking to apply various sciences um, and things that were useful for arts in looking at the common good. And I would like that to be a theme, is to really considering the common good of us all. So Josiah Holbrook um, started the series in 1827, which probably Northborough was there at that time, but it just wasn't noted. And of course, it, it came quickly into our community. And there were 11 goals for the Lyceum. And I've highlighted three that I think are incredibly important and relevant for today. An improvement of conversation. Perhaps you were at the last town meeting. I found it really contentious. I found the energy there to be unnerving. Um, it's, it's more like a gotcha. You know, people getting up with this sort of gotcha. You know, I caught you. And it was edgy and it was uncomfortable. And I felt really sick afterwards. And I would like to think of the Lyceum as this opportunity to re-engage in conversation. And I think there's something to be learned from First Parish here that I'll bring out. I love intelligent amusement because I love to have fun learning. And I love and, and learn to have fun. Um, and it's economical. I enjoy Westboro Connects and the effort that they've made in Westboro, and they've had to go through making a 501c3 and to fundraise. I don't have the appetite for that, and I don't know many who could. And I admire their programming, but this is an opportunity to do something that would, be, would cost very little because, um, as Richard said, there's a tremendous amount of talent here in our own community. Of course, we're lucky enough to have a stunning library and it's really one of the reasons I moved to this town. Um, and looking at the professional development of teachers, I would love to have our teachers bringing our topics into this area as well. Um, so as we look at the next one, it will go to Reverend Allen, as we saw in the film, who was quite an intellect in himself and seemed to have such a very good time doing all of this as minister of the town and third minister of the church at First Parish. And these events were held weekly during the winter months. Women sat differently than the men in uh, different places than the men, and they were just innocent by-sitters um, that weren't particularly engaged. Uh, but of course, First Parish would be happy to host. Again, a Lyceum where all are welcome. Some of the speakers that came to Northborough included Lowell Mason, who started the first music education program um, and convinced the Boston School Committees to create a music education program. And so we have him to thank for the importance of the arts in formal K-12 education. Horace Mann, who was a great um, advocate for education and himself very progressive. Frederick Douglass spoke here in Northborough as an abolitionist, as well as um, William and Ellen Craft, who is getting a lot of press in the Boston Globe lately. There'll be a movie coming out. Does everybody know their story? So William and Ellen Craft were slaves in Alabama, I think it was. 
She was a light-skinned house slave and he was a dark-skinned male. And so she dressed as an old man. And because her skin was so smooth, they put this poultice on her, the two of them, put this poultice on her so it would look mealy and older. Um, and she traveled, the two of them traveled to freedom with him as her slave and she as an older white man. It's a hell of a story. It must have taken great courage to put aside the clothes, to put aside the outfits, what it took to plan, what they did for love, what they did for freedom. So they spoke here. Lucy Stone, of course, uh, the suffragette spoke here. Um, and she was a part of um, a previous uh, session here. And it's expected that tr the transcendentalists were also here um, because they lived right down the road. Many of our records at First Parish were lost when the church itself burned in 1947. Um, there are still a lot of records there that are precious indeed that have not been gone through. And really, I've gone into that room a few times and just been overwhelmed and just said, oh, the heck with it. You know, like I'm not a librarian, I'm not a historian, but there are a lot of precious things in the day. Very old Bibles are there. So I would love to think about the transcendentalists having been there because John Howland, when he fell off the Mayflower and came back on, I became a descendant as well as Emerson. Um, and so there is much to be gained from all of these people who came through, but very progressive, talking about issues of slavery, the abolitionists, the suffragettes, right here in our community, bringing this information to a farming community. So how could the Lyceum be reinvigorated to meet the needs of our, uh, our people today? How can our past inform our future? How can the values of improvement of conversation, of intelligent amusement in economy being economical? And the question I would ask is, as we look at downtown and the unattractiveness of our downtown, um, the empty buildings, the um, dilapidated buildings, the empty lots, we've been asked to put up um, signs, what would we envision? What would we like to see? But I'm here to ask you through the lens of the Lyceum, how do we want our community to feel, no matter how it looks? How do we want it to feel to be in community together? I was just chuffed. I lived just two doors down the road. And I went down the street and ran into my new neighbors at the Grange, loved talking with them. My neighbor across the street in this beautiful house behind me, um, George Mahalwal, got to speak with him. That's how I want to feel in my neighborhood. That's not how I felt at town meeting. And that's the vision that I would like to bring to us to think about how do we want our community to feel. In that, I wanted you to offer inspiration, if you could advance a few, inspiration from First Parish. If you don't know about Unitarian Universalism, it's a little bit like um, trying to uh, gather cats all to go in one direction. It's, we are people who, um, and we can go to the next one if you please, thank you. We are people who may have grown up Catholic and may have grown up Jewish and may have grown up Muslim and maybe atheist or agnostic, but we come together honoring all of the faith traditions of the world, 
all are welcome. Everybody's search has something to mean, to, to mean. And why I serve on the governing board and have for the last six or seven years now, I think is because of the statements that we create. We have a contra contractual arrangements, job descriptions. I'm the clerk. I take the meeting minutes. So there's a job description there, and I'm obligated to do that. But a covenant is how many UU organizations um, create their way of being. And so here, we take time to process and not rush decisions. We commit to leaving the room whole and complete and trusting the group that what we bring up is in good intention. We aspire and commit to right relations and uphold the well-being of individuals and the whole group. We promise to listen attentively and free of judgment, operating honestly and openly. We deal with communications, break, particularly breakdowns in person, and we ask that people do that within on the same evening or the next night, preferably over a meal with a glass of wine. Like, let's get over it, let's get on with it, let's do the good work, let's heal. We actually have a right relations committee to support relationships. We want to dedicate ourselves as agents for positive change for First Parish, and I'm suggesting that the Lyceum dedicate itself to positive change for our community. And we release to say ourselves to say things that may be difficult to hear because we honor disagreement but we do so with respect. And I can say that we've dealt with some pretty thorny issues as any community of people would be, whether it's related to money, starting solar on our, on our roofs, whatever it was. But when we start each meeting with this, we can remind ourselves each time of how we want to be. And I look and see that the moderator now is in a race um, for the next election. Is this something that we can look toward in town meeting for the moderator to help create an ethos by which it doesn't get so edgy, it doesn't get so electric that we can come together. And I think the Lyceum can also support the town meeting as well. So this I feel is something that I learned from and this is really why I serve. So in the next slide, my dear, I looked at the community advocate for the past week and I thought about the different topics that are here. I love to celebrate the Best Buddies initiative at the high school where a high school student becomes friends with a child in special needs and helps bridge the divide that is both architectural. Most children with the special needs are, are secluded in a corridor, um, but they bridge this and they do things with them um, and they learn how to talk with somebody who perhaps is nonverbal, how to be with somebody um, in a loving way, in an accepting way. Um, I'm always concerned about our elders, and I live in back up to the uh, colonial village. And I know from the research of um, our Surgeon General that uh, people who live in social isolation which you can also do if you're in a crowd and feel alone. But people who live in social isolation alone have a 40% increased risk for dementia. We should be perhaps companioning our, uh, our elders and making the Best Buddies program intergenerational. Um, 
I would like to consider um, town planning from a place of stewardship and not dominion. Um, up and down Summer Street in the past couple of weeks has been the decimation of many, many beautiful trees. And I see none being planted. I don't see tree planting anywhere. And we have in Jean Cahill, one of the most extraordinary stewards that you could ever imagine. Jean, would you? Beautiful. So these two women are powerhouses of information, drive, and commitment. Um, and I would like to consider in the Bartlett Street um, proposal for um, the decimation of that land is when do we start stewarding those plots of, of biodiversity um, such that they are not lost forever. And I heard nobody speak for the trees at the town meeting. I heard nobody speak in that way. Um, in the, uh, the school calendar was a very, very um, intense discussion the other night, very civil, really, really, I was so pleased, and I said that to the superintendent um, afterwards, but in a community that is no longer Judaic Christian, is an effort to be inclusive, which would mean celebrating Eid in a school holiday, celebrating Chinese New Year, and it's becoming very complex. And it's important that we understand how our town is shifting and still consider, are we a welcoming community? And what does it mean in this modern age too? Um, I know on a yearly basis, we clean up the litter, but I've got to say that um, we've got an alcohol problem in this community. There's no doubt about it. If you walk, you will see all of the nips that are thrown out of cars or they are just thrown on the ground in concentric circles around each and every um, uh, liquor store. And the gentleman who owned the liquor store downtown sold it because he did not want to participate any longer in the corruption of our youth in vodkas sold for a dollar a bit that are flavored with blueberry or bubblegum. We have an alcohol problem here, and in this room on Saturday will be an AA meeting, which is overflowing. So I know that the, the Commonwealth is looking at this issue with NIPS uh, and, and its littering, and I think that um, this would be a wonderful opportunity because it is directed at our children, and our children are highly stressed. Why wouldn't they when they're a buck apiece? And when I've asked the various liquor store owners here, they say that people come in like people in their 20s and they're buying sleeves of these nips, they're called sleeves, where you get 20 or 40 at a time. And they're buying like 100 of them. So where are they distributing them? I would love to see intergenerational relationships. Um, again, I'm watching Colonial Village. Um, oh, you know what? I skipped one, sorry. If I go back here, um, the, uh, there was an Afghan refugee fundraiser. Um, and again, should just one church be doing that heavy lifting of bringing in a family? Um, and are we indeed a wel welcoming community? And then I would look toward from the advocate about the resignations of major players, who is training the next generation of people to serve on these boards? Um, as a school committee member, I went with Jean to the Women's March in, in Boston, 100,000 people on the Boston Commons. Wow, 
I had never seen that in my life here. And people kept saying, you should do something, you should do something. And I'm looking around going, what are you going to do, Richard? What are you going to do? And then I went, ah, oh, damn it, I got to do something. So I decided to run for school committee. I didn't have any particular creds aside from being a teacher myself. But do you know that when I became a part of the school committee, I didn't even know there were meetings in May. Right? The election was in May. or yeah, Somebody said, oh, we're going to see you next week. I said, where am I going to be? They said, well, for a school committee meeting. I was like, it's summer. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. So, and, there, and that's an issue of onboarding people and bringing them up to speed so people who have served don't leave with that, that uh, accumulated wisdom. Um, that there is, and I see Laura Zeiten in, in the back who's, who's running for the Board of Selectmen. Where do we all learn how to do this? Let's take this intellectual capital and harvest it for the good of all. So on the next one, the possibilities as well, I I'll go back to that, that at Colonial Village that they have a beautiful sunroom and they have a nice gazebo, but I never see anybody there, ever. But where they are are clustered in the garden. And so what if, what if Algonquin in its industrial arts created raised beds for our elders so that everybody grew their own greens? What if those children paired with the elders to help them do the heavy lifting of dirt or whatever it takes so that they can have this way of coming together? This is the way for people to, to grow old in a hale and hearty way, both young and old alike. And then um, for, for White Cliffs, I put that on because I had somebody, a lovely woman, stop by my house and ask for me to sign some papers uh, for election, and, and I did, happily, because I knew those people, but asked me to sign the petition against the White Cliffs proposal and made a few good points, and so I just signed. But you know what? I didn't do the heavy lifting of actually having read the report. And once I did, I rescinded my signature um, because I wasn't concerned and I didn't, I didn't agree um, and I respectfully disagreed. So what I see is that the Lyceum could offer a presentation, whether it's the new $8 million complex at Algonquin or the Whitecliffs issue, so we are all on the same page. Yes, we are obliged to read those reports. Yes, we are obliged to do all that. Frankly, I don't have the bandwidth to do it. I really don't, as much as I care to. But this kind of program where I can be with my neighbors would thrill me. And then I would understand it. So let me speak to the athletic complex, because I know this is going to be a concern coming up. Eight million dollars. I was resistive in the beginning. It was just too much bread way too much money for me to wrap my head around. But then, as I've heard many presentations as a school board member, I'm okay with it. Because I got the information, and at this point, the superintendent has got a wonderful presentation. And before town meeting, I encourage you to look at Northborough Cable's last recording of our school committee meeting, and for about 10 minutes, you can come up to speed about what it means to your tax bill, and what it means to the community. And I'd have to say that I can't believe I'm saying it, but yes, I've done my due diligence and I did vote to accept it. And it was unanimously approved by the school committee to now bring to town meeting. Um, 
and I could see that. So for the next one, my proposal, which was one that I shared with, um, with Kim Tollender, and Kim and I were both excited about doing this last summer when she died at 47, out of the blue, and I got stalled. But I have this vision that First Parish, once again, as a historical structure in our community, um, could host this, that we would have live music, that we could have movies with theme and purpose. And so here are a couple thoughts about a meaningful movie night. Um, there was a film called We're Still Here, and it was a documentary about the revival of the Wampanoag um, tribal language, which of course whites had um, disallowed and hadn't been spoken orally for over a hundred years. Um, this revival was done in partnership with the MIT Linguistics um, Organization, one of the finest linguistic groups in the world. Um, another might be the documentary of Fred Rogers' life, Mr. Rogers. Um, his biographer notes his legacy lives in the concept of a caring neighborhood where people watch out for one another, no matter where they come from or what they look like. Greg Martineau, when I asked him, and he's been involved in helping me think through this, suggested a film called In a Different Key, a documentary on a Pulitzer Prize finalist book with original music by Wynton Marsalis about neurodiversity. And how do we include people who are indeed, uh, have different learning styles and different perce perceptual styles. One of the things that happened back in the ancient, well, not ancient Lyceum, but historic Lyceum, it was an essay contest. And the title was, what does one owe to the town he, she, or they live in? What do we owe to this town? We owe taxes, that's contractual. But covenantially, what do we owe one another? Um, so in the, um, I envision having catered meals, having a meal catered by Zaytun in Clinton, if you haven't been there, wonderful food. This, this family is from Iraq, which is always humbling when I talk with them. But having a meal with our Muslim neighbors where you sit Muslim, non-Muslim, and you break bread, and there's live music. That kind of an event is what I picture thus hosting. Um, panel discussions as well, which was always something. I'd love to see um, an introduction to the helpers of our community, right? Fred Rogers would always say, look for the helpers. I'd like to know more about what the Rotary Club does. I see the sign, but I don't know who they are. The Lions Club, I'd like to know about them. I'm sure they need to be reinvigorated in their missions um, as well. And so those are some of the, the probable ideas where I would love to pair with like some really smart, sharp woman. I'm, I'm, I'm seducing Laura as we speak. So um, one of the, uh, one of the uh, conclusions for me was that there was, this gives me hope, and I find hope hard to find. I really do. So if I can't find it, then I want to create it. And I want to use a format that brings us together in disagreement, that is covenantially 
um, satisfied through respect and kindness and brother, I disagree with you, but we walk together as brother and sister. I know I'm an idealist. I know I can't shake it. And frankly, I don't want to because I brought a child into this world. I did, and I care for children. I care for children very much. So I'll give Dr. Allen the final word. The annual course of fee lectures and debates was anticipated with a lively interest by young and old. It was attended not only by large numbers of our citizens, but by many from neighboring towns. Nor can it be doubted that it contributed in no small measure to the intellectual and moral improvement, as well as to the harmony and good fellowship of all classes of our population. It was, in fact, as well in theory as its founder designed it to be a great free school, a supplement to our district schools, to which was invited our whole population, and to which the people came without distinction of sect or party, to listen to lectures and debates commonly on subjects of general interest and practical importance. So, um, that's, that's why I did this. That's why I joined the Historical um, Society. I wanted to see whether there's an appetite for this in our community to look at what divides us. If we want peace in the world, and we sing to it every year, right? And then we go about our business. But if we want peace in the world, there has to be peace within countries, which requires there be peace within our cities, and then within our towns, and then within our neighborhoods and within ourselves. And so if we can't have top-down evolution, I sure would like to see bottom-up revolution. So this is what I have to offer this evening, and I'm more than happy to take questions or comments. Thank you. I think we can close it. Perhaps we could bring up the lights if there are any questions or comments. Um, Hi, Michael. I see we open up First Parish. We have a meaningful movie night. We bring people together. Um, in a discussion of something that is not, elect, not an electric topic, but something like Fred Rogers. Um, that's, a, that's a beautiful movie. And just sit and talk about what does that mean? What does it mean in your neighborhood? What do, can it mean in your block? How do you feel about the people that you live around? Do you know their names? You know, we have a neighbor right down here who left uh, 50 yards of rubber on the road. Very difficult, challenging, kind of frightening guy. Like, how can I be in relationship with him? That's my question. What can I do to reach out and be in relationship with him and not be scared by him? Hi, Laura. I can't wait to, to, to go to your first event. It sounds wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe the winter months when we all have just a wee bit more space to come together and, and just to be in the light of, of friendship.
my dear Jean. Uh, so Janet and I are both with Rotary, and we would love to at some point <laughs> uh, tell more about what we do. But um, we do a program called Nutrition 68 out of the high school now, and we're there during the day while the school's in session. And it's so interesting to, as an adult, to go back. Oh, there's another fellow Rotarian. Um, to walk through the hallways and like to hear what's going on in the classrooms. It's like you get this little privilege, like flying the whole perspective. But it made me think, like, I would love to like go sit in on one of those classes and just hear how school is taught today and what teachers and students how they interact and you know, mm -hmm. what is the quality of this education. I'm sure it's very high, but I love the idea you mentioned about like, would we be able to invite a teacher in? Oh yes. Mm -hmm. We see presentations, yeah, every, every month meeting, we get a presentation by a department. Um, and so that gives you a look, but it also, and sometimes students from that department will also come and talk. But I've said to um, the chair and to Superintendent Martineau, I don't want the sparkling 1% or 5% kid, the kid that's going to Dartmouth. I want to see the kid that's in the middle, and I want to see the kid that's struggling, and I want them to tell me how they're doing in that department. Because I think that um, the stress is way too high, and that's, that's on us, is expecting that these students get into memorizing everything. So I uh, have been a guest in a class for the past couple of semesters, and I'll say to them, how, how curious are you about the world? How, you know, I don't go in with an agenda, but I start asking questions. They're like, oh, could care less. We're just trying to get an A and get out of here. I see that at the college level. We have killed curiosity. Children don't read anymore. Did you see Vermont just eliminated the books throughout their library system? Yes. In the Vermont college system, they're eliminating books to close a gap of, I think, half a million dollars. And, and students now do not read. They do not read books. They do not read digital books. Many of them report this in, in my classes. Absolutely, I see it at the college level. If they're from Europe, they read. If they're from the States, they don't. I see the difference from around the world. If they're from Asia, they, they'll do anything you ask them to or tell them to. But in the States, we've killed them. And I was just in this, and if you read in the Harbinger, they just produced Tartuffe, which is a 17th century play, I think. Um, and uh, directly the next day, the um, theater director resigned um, because he only was uh, a point six. And so if you read what the children had to say about the stress relief and the joy and the abundance of joy in that programming, we just took that out of them. And that's that drive to get kids in calculus. Even if the math department doesn't recommend a kid takes calculus, sometimes parents will go down and override that and force them to. We are making them miserable. I would, and teaching is shifting some, but um, uh, not, not fast enough. And it is like a steamship that's trying to turn its course. It takes tremendous energy and it takes tremendous time and distance. And every time we're talking about this, we're just throwing a spitball at the trajectory of that steamship. 
and that's my concern. If you look at the uh, CDC report on adolescent well-being and the Metro West Health Survey, the suicide ideation is unbelievable. It's completely unacceptable. And when I go to school committee meetings, in my book is a young woman, she was a sophomore at Grafton, fabulous, straight-A student into all the sports and everything. She leapt off a bridge onto the Mass Pike because she couldn't take it anymore. That's why I serve. This is what's happening to our children. The anxiety and depression, I'll be surprised if a student from the States doesn't tell me that they have an anxiety disorder at the college level now. And this is what I'm seeing, and it just slays me. We as a society need to come around and think about what is the value of an education against the value of stressing them at this point, because that is not the way for them to even grow old in a hale and hearty way. Yeah. Michael? Oh, sorry. So my students, and it goes back five years now, they didn't even take notes. They would just run up with their phones and take pictures of whatever I would And this was physics. They just didn't invest themselves. And again, the curiosity wasn't there to uh, push them along to want to learn. They just Googled everything. They you. And so then why do we ask them to memorize? Well, that's, but the, here's the thing. If you can Google everything, you don't need to memorize. That's it. On but the other the, hand, if you Google everything, not, you have no retention <laughs> of the subject. Well, and then that's where we need to teach executive functions, where you know how to manage that information. You know how to deductively reason with it and problem solve with it. That's where I would like to see it, it to go. Because if you can Google it, then what are you going to do with it? But I know that our daughter had to take um, quizzes on golf because she had to memorize terms about golf in gym. And that's just one of you know, many quizzes that she would have done. Memorization, our brains aren't actually meant to memorize this much information and to just keep putting it back, which has created the cheating. There was an epidemic of cheating. We saw it at Harvard. Uh, we saw it at the Naval Academy that we're just asking too much and we're still keeping the demands high. You know, it's funny to think about an C is an average mark. <laughs> Nobody would accept a C anymore. Michael? Oh yes, who could sit and, yes, I say if you don't have organic ADD, get one of these, we can give it to you environmentally, right? No longer can you stand at Starbucks waiting for your change and you can just play one more Sudoku move or whatever it is that you're on, one more text. It is, it is absolutely um, challenging our systems. So our brains, I do a lot in... Um, evolutionary biology, and our brains haven't changed in at least 50,000 years. But look at the demands that have been placed. 
So now at the college, not only do I have emails to deal with, and I have Google Drive and Apple Drive, um, but now we have Slack, which also loads documents and has emails with other people. So, and this is supposed to be easier, it's just more and more and more layers of communication. I have five um, email addresses I can't keep up. And in fact, I don't want to keep up. It keeps me from doing embroidery. It keeps me from walking with my dog, visiting with friends. And so I see at the schools, they go in and park them in these hotels. But if we had meaningful engagement and had them out of the house and in social time, I, I think it would do, they would naturally start to gravitate toward other things than always being on it, but they are always on it. And I have students that come in and sit down and open up their laptop. I don't know what they're doing. It doesn't look like anything that's related to what I'm doing. Yes, the Rotarian. I would be glad to. I would be really glad to. Our Solar Jazz Fest was enormously helped by the Westboro Rotary in the last year or two because we happened to know somebody. My husband taught um, music to their son, and that's how the Facendas, that's how we got to um, connect with them. But really admire the work, particularly the environmentalism is just stunning and the worldwide reach. So thank you. I would love to talk with you. There, there is another church in town that does have um, music programs once a month. Yes. To the community, and they do have community meals. However, COVID shut it down as coming in to the building and having, having a meal. Yes. We have to pass them out as the cars go by. It is what, along with what you were saying. The more um, churches that do that, the better. Or other communities. Yeah, I love that. So I participated in First Parish, in fact. Lucy Phillips' daughter, Alea, used to play violin at them just for added value. And what I found was I had to stop participating as an environmentalist. I couldn't stand that everything was throwaway. You know, it's like if, we're going to, if, I, if you're going to come to my, my home, I'm bringing out my china. I'm bringing out a nice tablecloth. And this is that other place I'd like to see that it's not just the food, but it's everything that goes around it that's a ritual of thoughtfulness and hospitality and would love to see us get back to that. But yes, we have open mic that's run by Lori and Adi Pandit once a month at First Parish, bringing people together in music. And we're seeing wonderful um, uh, artists of neuro with neurodiverse minds coming to that as well, which is just so precious to us. And my husband runs um, jazz programming with the Solar Jazz. And so we're getting Berkeley and Northborough, essentially. Um, and that's really fantastic. I was referring to Trinity Church. Yes. In addition to First Parish. Yes. That people recognize that there's many of them within town. Yes, absolutely. And we also at First Parish have a Russian-trained pianist. You cannot believe the level of music we get. Um, at church, Chopin, Schubert, it's just, it's marvelous. So music was always a part of the Lyceum and anything that I envisioned would always have live music and the musicians would be paid.
If I have to pay them, I will pay them, but the musicians will be paid. Yeah, think, Michael. I think your idea, Kelly, is great about tell me up top, it, it's not that heavy. It's mm -hmm. not going to yeah. device in any way. It's just a very neutral but pleasant and something people can talk about. I mean, we come to, and without any iPhones, and just say, we're going to analyze, we're going to evaluate here, we're just going to talk like creative thinkers and even critical things, but in, in a positive, not, not a negative critical, but just to think in an analytical way. And that's something we're missing so much of us. Yep. I think it's important to not focus on what's wrong, but to really look at what can be righter. You know, what does it mean to live in community by asking those questions versus what's wrong with our community is really looking at what does it mean to be in a neighborly relationship. You know, um, I think we've gotten so far away from that. And um, my husband and I lived in a community where we never knew the people around us. Nobody ever came to say hello and nobody ever said goodbye, you know, because Framingham just seemed more transient. And I just, um, I, I don't enjoy that. So when our neighbors moved into the Grange Hall, there were what, eight or 10 of us that went down there with cake and flowers and, got to meet them and celebrate them restoring this home and getting to know them. And it's, it's, um, it's how I want to live. Do you? Would you like that too? Yeah. My dear. I just, um, something about like, the music connection makes me think of um, that we don't have anywhere to go for music. We do have events at various places, but wouldn't it be nice if we had a jazz club <laughs> here at, at White Cliffs? <laughs> that was my dream for White Cliffs, was to make it into like a dinner dance, a place where young people could go and meet other young people and have like swing night. Or, you know, those are, I, I do think we have an epidemic of loneliness um, in young people, mm -hmm. in young men who don't know, who don't date. You know, it's, it, I just think there were a lot of things we don't even recognize, but like I hear from people. You know, I hear from other young people, and we, I just don't see us moving in that direction of like rebuilding community level institutions that invite everybody in for good time and for meeting up. Right. And Vivek Murthy, our current Surgeon General, wrote a delightful, wonderful, powerful book called Together on the Pandemic of Social Isolation. And that came out before this pandemic, which only ever added to social isolation as we sheltered in place for COVID. But you're right, it is a very, very serious problem. Um, and one that will be economically buckling too if we really don't take a look at it because the more people who become demented simply because they live alone, you know, is obviously adding. And actually dementia is the one diagnosis that can bankrupt Medicare by itself. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel as though um, the family unit is so completely different than it was? And families don't stick together, they're not working together. Uh, mom's out working, maybe. I think that there's a big part of that there um, because I ask the students when I go into this classroom, how many times a week do you get to eat with your family, eat as a family, and it's modest. And so the Massachusetts uh, Intramural Athletic Association actually has a tremendous amount of power 
Um, and so if, they, if students don't attend athletic events on a Sunday morning at 7 a.m. in Milton or whatever, then they lose their placements in those teams. And so it's those kind of schedules that have really started to tear apart families where you're running in several directions for activities and trying to keep up and, and not, it's, they've started to mandate um, what happens out, schools have mandated what happens outside of the school day and families don't. The uh, origin of <clears throat> Bagel Talk Company, a couple of weeks early this century, um, or last century, uh, got together um, and they started making pies and, they, and their name came up as Table Talk because they wanted a product that would pull people together at the table and talk. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a neat. The, it's the origin of the uh, table talk. Yeah. Be talking around the table so the pies would pull people in to do that. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. They do everything together as a family, and they're a tight-knit family. But between the homework demands, athletic demands, and arts demands, then it's shredding the days, and children don't sleep well. Um, and sleep is actually a brainstem level function, so nothing of a higher order works well when we are sleep deprived. Um, and yet schools compromise sleep. Um, and this generation, in fact, for the prop, probably for the last six to eight years, um, children have come into college and they absolutely have no respect for sleep. They'll say, I'll sleep when I die. It's like, well, it will happen a lot faster for you if you, if you don't take care of this. And, and it's also hard to be rational, logical, thoughtful, and considerate if you're unslept. You know, it's just my idea. So again, I was going to partner with Kim before she died such an untimely and young death. I'm hoping to find people that would help me create this and I don't think it would take much because it is economical because we do have all this talent here in town. Um, because I have talked to people like Mitch Cohen and um, uh, Jeannie and Joe Zaya and Greg Martineau to get their ideas. I have a thousand ideas. They just need to get operationalized. And I don't think so it would take that much. That in the works. It's, it's two orbits from, from actually getting done. Okay. But I hope that there would be interest and generate interest here and maybe even somebody that would step forward and say I would help with the social media or, or I would help in whatever part. But I was thinking of getting the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts involved and always, always keeping the value, the covenant I have with creating this is for it to be intergenerational. That's really important to me. So I know it's getting late and I keep looking at Laura's daughter and it's like, I'm so sorry, honey. <laughs> but I thank you very much. I would look forward to your ideas.
myself and take this on um, and so when we get started with opening the deck okay let me fingerprint myself open <laughs> So I found the Lyceum to be a very interesting opportunity to consider how our past can inform our future, how we can inspire it, um, and really look at the needs of our forefathers and foremothers and what's possible today. So um, if you would go to the next one, because I've uh, in the agenda and I'm following this on my phone, it's really like, well, why me? <laughs> why am I doing this? Um, and then to give a historical overview about the Lyceum and certain points that I find of great interest um, in my effort to look at this as a vehicle for our, our present and our future, the topics and guests that were covered, and then the topics and guests that could be considered um, for reviving the Lyceum. So in the next one, why me? You know, so I, my thing is music and neuroscience, like what am I doing up here? But I became very, very interested in the 250th anniversary tour of a uh, celebration of the founding of Northborough. And most of you would probably know that First Parish was up and going as a church for 20 years before it sponsored the founding of the town of Northborough. You had to have somebody, you had to have a sponsorship by a church. There had to be enough people that supported a church that would support a town. And as you heard, Reverend Allen uh, was the third town minister. Um, and so the, most of the taxes went to the supporting of the church and the townhouse, which was the meeting house at the time. But why I got involved was learning about the pandemic of 1749 to 50, which was before the pandemic that we just went through. And even in the graveyard tour, I heard nothing about the children. So 60 children in this community died. And as, as a woman, as a mother, it just gutted me. I can't even imagine the grief that our earliest um, relations, our brothers and sisters of yore, experienced in the loss of 60 children. There weren't enough families 
for that to mean that there was just one from each family plucked. I mean, people lost multiple children, and then they had to wait until the spring to bury them. And that just slayed me. That sparked my interest in history in Northborough. Um, that, um, and it just started to snowball from there, honestly. At about the same time, I was learning more about my own history um, and seeing that. So my family uh, grew up in Sandwich. My father, they basically were there since the Mayflower. Um, they got as far as Sandwich, and there they stayed put. And the boardwalk that I've always loved to walk on, if you've ever been to Sandwich, was built by my great-great-grandfather and the town hall. So I started to get very interested in um, history and especially in reading the Mayflower um, and knowing that it was my relation that fell off the boat and happened to come back on. Um, and, and I am a descendant as well as people who spoke at the Lyceum. Um, so I found that that's what really jacked me up. Um, so I do serve on the regional school board and I see tremendous needs um, in modern day education. Um, I would not even, not casually say this, but modern education is killing our children. The uh, levels of stress and anxiety now are yet another epidemic, and actually they were epidemic before this pandemic. Um, and this gives me grave concerns. So I thought, well, maybe the Lyceum could help to speak to some of these topics. Um, and so I started to come here as a way of conjoining my work and my devotion to First Parish, to those children, to that history. Um, and for any of you who have not been to First Parish, there is a history of the church and community and its ties to the community hung at the meeting house. And I'd be glad to invite you all to see that at any time. Um, I'm trained as a researcher, so that was the easy part. Um, what was interesting to me is that I've been going to Boston Conservatory since 1976. And then now I teach at Berkeley. And on the corner between the two is the Mass Historical Society, where I had never been. Although I like to peek in and at dark so I can see like the moldings and the, the interior design. So I started to go there as a researcher. And that has helped feed my curiosity, um, which is something that's never left me and is the gift of my education and probably my own personality. And this is definitely something I see killed out of children is curiosity. So I'm here to just put a stake in the ground of a curious mind. And um, I've always thought that I was an endless optimist. Um, despite my understanding of the world around me, I was born the day Jack Kennedy was elected. Um, and I think somehow that Camelot sprinkled into my DNA. So all of these brought me here tonight in this very unusual situation, at least for me. So in the next slide, looking, I love to look up the um, etymologies of words. And Lyceum is an odd word for sure, but it came from the Greek. And so at the top in this bended way is the area that had been the Lyceum um, outside of Athens, where Aristotle and the learned people of the day considered the topics of the day um, in the various communications that they had, um, which I love learning in community. So as we consider in the next slide, the Lyceums in the US, um, 
The Lyceums were around pre and post-Civil War, and they actually involved the uh, mechanics institutes and agricultural organizations like the Grange, which our sweet neighbors have just moved in and have been uh, rehabbing. And so this was an important part of adult education in, in America. And it was primarily meant for the men, but certainly um, that need not be the case today. So the first ly lyceum actually was formed in Millbury by Holbrook. Um, and what they were looking for at that time was a way to help people um, be educated and civil, not just civilized, but to be civil and addressing these topics at the time. All of the lectures included um, the arts. These were truly community events. People were not just talked to. There would be a talk and then a debate would follow. Um, they would have arts at these events and there were traveling troops of both lectures and artists that would go through. So um, it began here and you can see in this early quote to procure for youths an economical and practical education. And by economical they meant free or there were very inexpensive subscriptions that people could take. This was meant to occupy farmers during the winters um, and so it gave them something to do, which I, I really like that notion of coming together in that way. So they were looking to diffuse rational and useful information. I will say sitting on the school committee, there have been times that it, there were, uh, that wasn't the case from the witnessing and the letters that we get. It was not rational. There was a lot of false information out there. And false news is not new. That has circled through our societies in the past. But this was um, really important to see that this was addressed in those ages. Um, and they were looking to apply various sciences um, and things that were useful for arts in looking at the common good. And I would like that to be a theme, is to really considering the common good of us all. So Josiah Holbrook um, started the series in 1827, which probably Northborough was there at that time, but it just wasn't noted. And of course, it, it came quickly into our community. And there were 11 goals for the Lyceum. And I've highlighted three that I think are incredibly important and relevant for today an improvement of conversation. Perhaps you were at the last town meeting. I found it really contentious. I found the energy there to be unnerving. Um, it's, it's more like a gotcha. You know, people getting up with this sort of gotcha, you know, I caught you. And it was edgy and it was uncomfortable. And I felt really sick afterwards. And I would like to think of the Lyceum as this opportunity to re-engage in conversation. And I think there's something to be learned from First Parish here that I'll bring out. I love intelligent amusement because I love to have fun learning. And I love and, and learn to have fun. Um, and it's economical. I enjoy Westboro Connects and the effort that they've made in Westboro, and they've had to go through making a 501c3 and to fundraise. I don't have the appetite for that, and I don't know many who could. And I admire their programming, but this is an opportunity to do something that would, be, would cost very little, because um, as Richard said, there's a tremendous amount of talent here in our own community. Of course, we're lucky enough to have a stunning library 
and it's really one of the reasons I moved to this town. Um, and looking at the professional development of teachers, I would love to have our teachers bringing our topics into this area as well. Um, so as we look at the next one, it will go to Reverend Allen, as we saw in the film, who was quite an intellect in himself and seemed to have such a very good time doing all of this as minister of the town and third minister of the church at First Parish. And these events were held weekly during the winter months. Women sat differently than the men and uh, different places than the men. And they were just innocent by-sitters um, that weren't particularly engaged. Uh, but of course, First Parish would be happy to host. Again, a Lyceum where all are welcome. Some of the speakers that came to Northborough included Lowell Mason, who started the first music education program um, and convinced the Boston School Committees to create a music education program. And so we have him to thank for the importance of the arts in formal K-12 education. Horace Mann, who was a great um, advocate for education and himself very progressive. Frederick Douglass spoke here in Northborough as an abolitionist, as well as um, William and Ellen Craft, who is getting a lot of press in the Boston Globe lately. There'll be a movie coming out. Does everybody know their story? So William and Ellen Craft were slaves in Alabama, I think it was. She was a light-skinned house slave, and he was a dark-skinned male. And so she dressed as an old man. And because her skin was so smooth, they put this poultice on her, the two of them, put this poultice on her so it would look mealy and older. Um, and she traveled, the two of them traveled to freedom with him as her slave and she as an older white man. It's a hell of a story. It must have taken great courage to put aside the clothes, to put aside the outfits, what it took to plan, what they did for love, what they did for freedom. So they spoke here. Lucy Stone, of course, uh, the suffragette, spoke here, um, and she was a part of um, a previous uh, session here. And it's expected that tr the transcendentalists were also here um, because they lived right down the road. Many of our records at First Parish were lost when the church itself burned in 1947. Um, there are still a lot of records there that are precious indeed that have not been gone through. And really, I've gone into that room a few times and just been overwhelmed and just said, oh, the heck with it. You know, like I'm not a librarian, I'm not a historian, but there are a lot of precious things in the day. Very old Bibles are there. So I would love to think about the Transcendentalists having been there because John Howland, when he fell off the Mayflower and came back on, I became a descendant as well as Emerson. Um, and so there is much to be gained from all of these people who came through, but very progressive, talking about issues of slavery, the abolitionists, the suffragettes, right here in our community, bringing this information to a farming community. So how could the Lyceum be reinvigorated to meet the needs of our, uh, our people today? How can our past inform our future? How can the values of improvement of conversation, of intelligent amusement, 
an economy, being economical. And the question I would ask is, as we look at downtown and the unattractiveness of our downtown, um, the empty buildings, the um, dilapidated buildings, the empty lots, we've been asked to put up um, signs, what would we envision? What would we like to see? But I'm here to ask you through the lens of the Lyceum, how do we want our community to feel, no matter how it looks? How do we want it to feel to be in community together? I was just chuffed. I lived just two doors down the road. And I went down the street and ran into my new neighbors at the Grange, loved talking with them. My neighbor across the street in this beautiful house behind me, um, George Mahalwal, got to speak with him. That's how I want to feel in my neighborhood. That's not how I felt at town meeting. And that's the vision that I would like to bring to us to think about how do we want our community to feel. In that, I wanted you to offer inspiration, if you could advance a few, inspiration from First Parish. If you don't know about Unitarian Universalism, it's a little bit like um, trying to uh, gather cats all to go in one direction. It's, we are people who, um, and we can go to the next one if you please, thank you. We are people who may have grown up Catholic and may have grown up Jewish and may have grown up Muslim and may be atheist or agnostic, but we come together honoring all of the faith traditions of the world. All are welcome. Everybody's search has something to mean. To, to mean. And why I serve on the governing board and have for the last six or seven years now, I think is because of the statements that we create. We have a contractual arrangements, job descriptions. I'm the clerk. I take the meeting minutes. So there's a job description there, and I'm obligated to do that. But a covenant is how many UU organizations um, create their way of being. And so here, we take time to process and not rush decisions. We commit to leaving the room whole and complete and trusting the group that what we bring up is in good intention. We aspire and commit to right relations and uphold the well-being of individuals and the whole group. We promise to listen attentively and free of judgment, operating honestly and openly. We deal with communications, break, particularly breakdowns in person, and we ask that people do that within on the same evening or the next night, preferably over a meal with a glass of wine. Like, let's get over it, let's get on with it, let's do the good work, let's heal. We actually have a right relations committee to support relationships. We want to dedicate ourselves as agents for positive change for First Parish, and I'm suggesting that the Lyceum dedicate itself to positive change for our community. And we release to say ourselves to say things that may be difficult to hear because we honor disagreement but we do so with respect. And I can say that we've dealt with some pretty thorny issues, as any community of people would be, whether it's related to money, starting solar, on our, on our roofs, whatever it was. But when we start each meeting with this, we can remind ourselves each time of how we want to be. And I look and see that the moderator now is in a race 
um, for the next election? Is this something that we can look toward in town meeting for the moderator to help create an ethos by which it doesn't get so edgy, it doesn't get so electric that we can come together? And I think the Lyceum can also support the town meeting as well. So this, I feel, is something that I learned from, and this is really why I serve. So in the next slide, my dear, I looked at the community advocate for the past week, and I thought about the different topics that are here. I love to celebrate the Best Buddies initiative at the high school, where a high school student becomes friends with a child in special needs and helps bridge the divide that is both architectural. Most children with the special needs are, are secluded in a corridor, um, but they bridge this and they do things with them, um, and they learn how to talk with somebody who perhaps is nonverbal, how to be with somebody um, in a loving, way, in an accepting way. Um, I'm always concerned about our elders, and I live in back up to the uh, colonial village. And I know from the research of um, our Surgeon General that uh, people who live in social isolation, which you can also do if you're in a crowd and feel alone, but people who live in social isolation alone have a 40% increased risk for dementia. We should be perhaps companioning our, uh, our elders in making the Best Buddies program intergenerational. Um, I would like to consider um, town planning from a place of stewardship and not dominion. Um, up and down, Summer Street in the past couple of weeks has been the decimation of many, many beautiful trees. And I see none being planted. I don't see tree planting anywhere. And we have in Jean Cahill, one of the most extraordinary stewards that you could ever imagine. Jean, would you? Beautiful. So these two women are powerhouses of information, drive, and commitment. Um, and I would like to consider in the Bartlett Street um, proposal for um, the decimation of that land is when do we start stewarding those plots of, of biodiversity um, such that they are not lost forever. And I heard nobody speak for the trees at the town meeting. I heard nobody speak in that way. Um, in the, uh, the school calendar was a very, very um, intense discussion the other night, very civil, really, really, I was so pleased, and I said that to the superintendent um, afterwards, but in a community that is no longer Judaic Christian, is an effort to be inclusive, which would mean celebrating Eid in a school holiday, celebrating Chinese New Year, and it's becoming very complex. And it's important that we understand how our town is shifting and still consider, are we a welcoming community? And what does it mean in this modern age too? Um, I know on a yearly basis, we clean up the litter, but I've got to say that um, we've got an alcohol problem in this community. There's no doubt about it. If you walk, you will see all of the nips that are thrown out of cars or they are just thrown on the ground in concentric circles around each and every um, uh, liquor store. 
And the gentleman who owned the liquor store downtown sold it because he did not want to participate any longer in the corruption of our youth in vodkas sold for a dollar a bit that are flavored with blueberry or bubblegum. We have an alcohol problem here. And in this room on Saturday will be an AA meeting, which is overflowing. So I know that the, the Commonwealth is looking at this issue with NIPS uh, and, and its littering. And I think that um, this would be a wonderful opportunity because it is directed at our children and our children are highly stressed. Why wouldn't they when they're a buck apiece? And when I've asked the various liquor store owners here, they say that people come in like people in their 20s and they're buying sleeves of these nips, they're called sleeves, where you get 20 or 40 at a time. And they're buying like 100 of them. So where are they distributing them? I would love to see intergenerational relationships. Um, again, I'm watching Colonial Village. Um, oh, you know what? I skipped one, sorry. If I go back here, um, the, uh, there was an Afghan refugee fundraiser. Um, and again, should just one church be doing that heavy lifting of bringing in a family? Um, and are we indeed a wel welcoming community? And then I would look toward, from the advocate about the resignations of major players, who is training the next generation of people to serve on these boards? Um, as a school committee member, I went with Jean to the Women's March in, in Boston, 100,000 people on the Boston Commons. Wow, I had never seen that in my life here. And people kept saying, you should do something, you should do something. And I'm looking around going, what are you going to do, Richard? What are you going to do? And then I went, oh, damn it, I got to do something. So I decided to run for school committee. I didn't have any particular creds aside from being a teacher myself. But do you know that when I became a part of the school committee, I didn't even know there were meetings in May, right? If the election was in May or, yeah, somebody said, oh, we're going to see you next week. I said, where am I going to be? They said, well, for a school committee meeting. I was like, it's summer. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. So, and, there, and that's an issue of onboarding people and bringing them up to speed so people who have served don't leave with that, that uh, accumulated wisdom. Um, that there is, and I see Laura Zeiten in, in the back who's, who's running for the Board of Selectmen. Where do we all learn how to do this? Let's take this intellectual capital and harvest it for the good of all. So on the next one, the possibilities as well, I I'll go back to that, that at Colonial Village that they have a beautiful sunroom and they have a nice gazebo, but I never see anybody there, ever. But where they are are clustered in the garden. And so what if, what if Algonquin in its industrial arts created raised beds for our elders so that everybody grew their own greens? What if those children paired with the elders to help them do the heavy lifting of dirt or whatever it takes so that they can have this way of coming together? This is the way for people to, to grow old in a hale and hearty way, both young and old alike. And then um, for, for White Cliffs, I put that on because I had somebody, a lovely woman, stop by my house and ask for me to sign some papers uh, for election. And, and I did, happily, because I knew those people. But asked me to sign the petition 
against the White Cliffs proposal and made a few good points and so I just signed. But you know what? I didn't do the heavy lifting of actually having read the report. And once I did, I rescinded my signature um, because I wasn't concerned and I didn't, I didn't agree. Um, and I respectfully disagreed. So what I see is that the Lyceum could offer a presentation, whether it's the new $8 million complex at Algonquin or the Whitecliffs issue, so we are all on the same page. Yes, we are obliged to read those reports. Yes, we are obliged to do all that. Frankly, I don't have the bandwidth to do it. I really don't, as much as I care to. But this kind of program where I can be with my neighbors would thrill me. And then I would understand it. So let me speak to the athletic complex, because I know this is going to be a concern coming up. $8 million. I was resistive in the beginning. It was just too much bread, way too much money for me to wrap my head around. But then, as I've heard many presentations as a school board member, I'm okay with it because I got the information. And at this point, the superintendent has got a wonderful presentation. And before town meeting, I encourage you to look at Northborough Cable's last recording of our school committee meeting. And for about 10 minutes, you can come up to speed about what it means to your tax bill and what it means to the community. And I'd have to say that I can't believe I'm saying it, but yes, I've done my due diligence and I did vote to accept it and it was unanimously approved by the school committee to now bring to town meeting. Um, and I could see that. So for the next one, my proposal, which was one that I shared with, um, with Kim Tollender. And Kim and I were both excited about doing this last summer when she died at 47, out of the blue. And I got stalled. But I have this vision that First Parish, once again, as a historical structure in our community, um, could host this, that we would have live music, that we could have movies with theme and purpose. And so here are a couple thoughts about a meaningful movie night. Um, there was a film called We're Still Here, and it was a documentary about the revival of the Wampanoag um, tribal language, which of course whites had um, disallowed and hadn't been spoken orally for over a hundred years. Um, this revival was done in partnership with the MIT Linguistics um, Organization, one of the finest linguistic groups in the world. Um, another might be the documentary of Fred Rogers' life, Mr. Rogers. Um, his biographer notes his legacy lives in the concept of a caring neighborhood where people watch out for one another, no matter where they come from or what they look like. Greg Martineau, when I asked him, and he's been involved in helping me think through this, suggested a film called In a Different Key, a documentary on a Pulitzer Prize finalist book with original music by Wynton Marsalis about neurodiversity. And how do we include people who are indeed uh, have different learning styles and different perce perceptual styles? One of the things that happened back in the ancient, well, not ancient Lyceum, but historic Lyceum, it was an essay contest. And the title was, What Does One Owe to the Town 
he, she, or they live in? What do we owe to this town? We owe taxes, that's contractual, but covenantially, what do we owe one another? Um, so in the, um, I envision having catered meals, having a meal catered by Zaytun in Clinton, if you haven't been there, wonderful food. This, this family is from Iraq, which is always humbling when I talk with them, but having a meal with our Muslim neighbors where you sit, Muslim, non-Muslim, and you break bread, and there's live music. That kind of an event is what I picture thus hosting. Um, panel discussions as well, which was always something. I'd love to see um, an introduction to the helpers of our community, right? Fred Rogers would always say, look for the helpers. I'd like to know more about what the Rotary Club does. I see the sign, but I don't know who they are. The Lions Club, I'd like to know about them. I'm sure they need to be reinvigorated in their missions um, as well. And so those are some of the, the probable ideas where I would love to pair with like some really smart, sharp woman. I'm, I'm, I'm seducing Laura as we speak. So um, one of the, uh, one of the uh, conclusions for me was that there was, this gives me hope and I find hope hard to find. I really do. So if I can't find it, then I want to create it. And I want to use a format that brings us together in disagreement that is covenantially um, satisfied through respect and kindness. And brother, I disagree with you, but we walk together as brother and sister. I know I'm an idealist. I know I can't shake it. And frankly, I don't want to because I brought a child into this world. I did, and I care for children. I care for children very much. So I'll give Dr. Allen the final word. The annual course of fee lectures and debates was anticipated with a lively interest by young and old. It was attended not only by large numbers of our citizens, but by many from neighboring towns. Nor can it be doubted that it contributed in no small measure to the intellectual and moral improvement, as well as to the harmony and good fellowship of all classes of our population. It was, in fact, as well in theory as its founder designed it to be a great free school, a supplement to our district schools, to which was invited our whole population, and to which the people came without distinction of sect or party to listen to lectures and debates commonly on subjects of general interest and practical importance. So um, that's, that's why I did this. That's why I joined the Historical um, Society. I wanted to see whether there's an appetite for this in our community to look at what divides us. If we want peace in the world, and we sing to it every year, Right? And then we go about our business. But if we want peace in the world, there has to be peace within countries, which requires there be peace within our cities, and then within our towns, and then within our neighborhoods, and within ourselves. And so if we can't have top-down evolution, I sure would like to see bottom-up revolution. So this is what I have to offer.
this evening, and I'm more than happy to take questions or comments. Thank you. I think we can close it. Perhaps we could bring up the lights if there are any questions or comments. Hi, Michael. I see we open up First Parish. We have a meaningful movie night. We bring people together um, in a discussion of something that is not, not an electric topic, but something like Fred Rogers. Um, that's, a, that's a beautiful movie. And just sit and talk about what does that mean? What does it mean in your neighborhood? What do, can it mean in your block? How do you feel about the people that you live around? Do you know their names? You know, we have a neighbor right down here who left uh, 50 yards of rubber on the road. Very difficult, challenging, kind of frightening guy. Like, how can I be in relationship with him? That's my question. What can I do to reach out and be in relationship with him and not be scared by him? Hi, Laura. I can't wait to, your, to, to go to your first event. It sounds wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe the winter months when we all have just a wee bit more space to come together and, and just to be in the light of, of friendship, my dear Jean. Uh, so Janet and I are both with Periphery, and we would love to at some point. <laughs> I'll tell more about what we do. But um, we do a program called Nutrition 68 out of the high school now the day while the school's in session and it's so interesting to as an adult to go back oh there's another California um to walk through the hallways and like to hear what's going on in the classrooms it's like you get this little privilege like flying the whole perspective but it made me think like I would love to like go sit in on one of those classes and just hear how school is taught today and what teachers and students how they interact and you know, mm. what is the quality of this education I'm sure it's very high but I love the idea you mentioned about like would we be able to invite a teacher in? Oh yes. A class lecture on like this is what we teach in the schools today. Mm-hmm. You know, for just that. We see presentations. Yeah, every every month meeting we get a presentation by a department, um, and so that gives you a look. But it also, and sometimes students from that department will also come and talk. But I've said to um, the chair and to Superintendent Martineau, I don't want the sparkling 1% or 5% kid, the kid that's going to Dartmouth. I want to see the kid that's in the middle, and I want to see the kid that's struggling. And I want them to tell me how they're doing in that department. Because I think that um, the stress is way too high, and that's, that's on us, is expecting that these students get into memorizing everything. So I uh, have been a guest in a class for the past couple of semesters, and I'll say to them, how, how curious are you about the world? How, you know, I don't go in with an agenda, but I start asking questions. They're like, oh, could care less. We're just trying to get an A and get out of here. <laughs> I see that at the college level. We have killed curiosity. 
children don't read anymore. Did you see Vermont just eliminated the books throughout their library system? Yes. In the Vermont college system, they're eliminating books to close a gap of, I think, half a million dollars. And, and students now do not read. They do not read books. They do not read digital books. Many of them report this in, in my classes. Absolutely, I see it at the college level. If they're from Europe, they read. If they're from the States, they don't. I see the difference from around the world. If they're from Asia, they, they'll do anything you ask them to or tell them to. But in the States, we've killed them. And I was just in this, and if you read in the Harbinger, they just produced Tartuffe, which is a 17th century play, I think. Um, and uh, directly the next day, the um, theater director resigned um, because he only was uh, a 0.6. And so if you read what the children had to say about the stress relief and the joy and the abundance of joy in that programming, we just took that out of them. And that's that drive to get kids in calculus. Even if the math department doesn't recommend a kid takes calculus, sometimes parents will go down and override that and force them to. We are making them miserable. I would, and teaching is shifting some, but um, uh, not, not fast enough. And it is like a steamship that's trying to turn its course. It takes tremendous energy and it takes tremendous time and distance. And every time we're talking about this, we're just throwing a spitball at the trajectory of that steamship. And that's my concern. If you look at the uh, CDC report on adolescent well-being and the Metro West Health Survey, the suicide ideation is unbelievable. It's completely unacceptable. And when I go to school committee meetings, in my book is a young woman, she was a sophomore at Grafton, fabulous, straight-A student into all the sports and everything. She leapt off a bridge onto the Mass Pike because she couldn't take it anymore. That's why I serve. This is what's happening to our children. The anxiety and depression, I'll be surprised if a student from the States doesn't tell me that they have an anxiety disorder at the college level now. And this is what I'm seeing, and it just slays me. We as a society need to come around and think about what is the value of an education against the value of stressing them at this point, because that is not the way for them to even grow old in a hale and hearty way. Yeah. Michael? Oh, sorry. So my students, and this goes back five years now, they didn't even take notes. They would just run up with their phones and take pictures of whatever I wrote on the And this was physics. They just didn't invest themselves. And again, the curiosity wasn't there to uh, push them along to want to learn. They just Googled everything. They and so then why do we ask them to memorize? Well, that's, but the, here's the thing. If you can Google everything, you don't need to memorize. That's it. But the other hand, if you Google everything, well, and then that's where we need to teach executive functions, where you know how to manage that information, you know how to deductively reason with it and problem solve with it. That's 
where I would like to see it, it to go. Because if you can Google it, then what are you going to do with it? But I know that our daughter had to take um, quizzes on golf because she had to memorize terms about golf in gym. And that's just one of you know, many quizzes that she would have done. Memorization, our brains aren't actually meant to memorize this much information and to just keep putting it back, which has created the cheating. It was an epidemic of cheating. We saw it at Harvard. Um, we saw it at the Naval Academy that we're just asking too much and we're still keeping the demands high. You know, it's funny to think about, and C is an average mark. <laughs> Nobody would accept a C anymore. Michael? Oh yes, who could sit and, yes, I say if you don't have organic ADD, get one of these, we can give it to you environmentally, right? No longer can you stand at Starbucks waiting for your change and you can just play one more Sudoku move or whatever it is that you're on, one more text. It is, it is absolutely um, challenging our systems. So our brains, I do a lot in, um, evolutionary biology, and our brains haven't changed in at least 50,000 years. But look at the demands that have been placed. So now at the college, not only do I have emails to deal with, and I have Google Drive and Apple Drive, um, but now we have Slack, which also loads documents and has emails with other people. So, and this is supposed to be easier, it's just more and more and more layers of communication. I have five um, email addresses I can't keep up and in fact I don't want to keep up it keeps me from doing embroidery it keeps me from walking with my dog visiting with friends and so I see at the schools they go in and park them in these hotels but if we had meaningful engagement and had them out of the house and in social time I, I think it would do, they would naturally start to gravitate toward other things than always being on it, but they are always on it. And I have students that come in and sit down and open up their laptop. I don't know what they're doing. It doesn't look like anything that's related to what I'm doing. Yes, the Rotarian. I would be glad to. I would be really glad to. Our Solar Jazz Fest was enormously helped by the Westboro Rotary in the last year or two because we happened to know somebody. My husband taught um, music to their son, and that's how the Facendas, that's how we got to um, connect with them. But really admire the work, particularly the environmentalism is just stunning and the worldwide reach. So thank you. I would love to talk with you. There, there is another church in town that does have um, 
music programs once a month. Yes. To the community, and they do have community meals. However, COVID shut it down as coming in to the building and having, having a meal. Yes. So we have to pass them out as the cars go by. It is what, along with what you were saying. The more um, churches that do that, the better. Or other communities. Yeah, I love that. So I participated in First Parish, in fact. Lucy Phillips' daughter, Alea, used to play violin at them just for added value. And what I found was I had to stop participating as an environmentalist. I couldn't stand that everything was throwaway. You know, it's like if we're going to, if, I, if you're going to come to my, my home, I'm bringing out my china, I'm bringing out a nice tablecloth, and this is that other place I'd like to see that it's not just the food, but it's everything that goes around it that's a ritual of thoughtfulness and hospitality, and would love to see us get back to that. But yes, we have open mic that's run by Lori and Adi Pandit once a month at First Parish, bringing people together in music, and we're seeing wonderful um, uh, artists of neuro, with neurodiverse minds coming to that as well, which is just so precious to us. And my husband runs um, jazz programming with the Solar Jazz, and so we're getting Berkeley and Northborough essentially, um, and that's really fantastic. I was referring to Trinity Church. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And we also at First Parish have a Russian trained pianist. You cannot believe the level of music we get um, at church. Chopin, Schubert, it's just, it's marvelous. So music was always a part of the Lyceum and anything that I envisioned would always have live music and the musicians would be paid. If I have to pay them, I will pay them, but the musicians will be paid. Yeah, Michael. I think your idea, Kelly, is great about tell me a topic that's not that heavy. Yeah. It's just a very neutral but pleasant and something people can talk about. Maybe come to and without any iPhones and just say, we're going to analyze, we're going to evaluate here, we're just going to talk like creative thinkers and even critical things, but in, in a positive, not, not a negative critical, but just to think in an analytical way, because that's something we're missing so much of us, is having more of a specialty. Yep. I think it's important to not focus on what's wrong, but to really look at what can be righter. You know, what does it mean to live in community by asking those questions versus what's wrong with our community is really looking at what does it mean to be in a neighborly relationship. You know, um, I think we've gotten so far away from that. And um, my husband and I lived in a community where we never knew the people around us. Nobody ever came to say hello and nobody ever said goodbye. You know, because Framingham just seemed more transient and I just, um, I, I don't enjoy that. So when our neighbors moved into the Grange Hall, there were what, eight or 10 of us that went down there with cake and flowers and got to meet them and celebrate them restoring this home and getting to know them. And it's, it's, um, it's how I want to live. Do you? Would you like that too? Yeah. My dear. Here at, at White Cliffs. <laughs> that was my dream for White Cliffs was to make it into like a dinner dance 
place where young people could go and meet other young people and have like a swing night or, you know, those are, I, I do think we have an epidemic of loneliness um, in young people, mm -hmm. in young men who don't know, who don't date, you know, it's, it, I just think there were a lot of things we don't even recognize, but like I hear from people, you know, I hear from other young people and we, I just don't see us moving in that direction of like rebuilding community level institutions that invite everybody in for your time and for meeting up. Right. And Vivek Murthy, our current Surgeon General, wrote a delightful, wonderful, powerful book called Together on the Pandemic of Social Isolation. And that came out before this pandemic, which only ever added to social isolation as we sheltered in place for COVID. But you're right, it is a very, very serious problem. Um, and one that will be economically buckling too if we really don't take a look at it because the more people who become demented simply because they live alone, you know, is obviously adding. And actually, dementia is the one diagnosis that can bankrupt Medicare by itself. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel as though um, the family unit is so completely different than it was? And families don't stick together, they're not working together. Uh, mom's out working, maybe. I think that there's a big part of that there um, because I ask the students when I go into this classroom, how many times a week do you get to eat with your family, eat as a family, and it's modest. And so the Massachusetts uh, Intramural Athletic Association actually has a tremendous amount of power. Um, and so if, they, if students don't attend athletic events, on a Sunday morning at 7 a.m. in Milton or whatever, then they lose their placements in those teams. And so it's those kind of schedules that have really started to tear apart families where you're running in several directions for activities and trying to keep up and, and not, it's, they've started to mandate um, what happens out, schools have mandated what happens outside of the school day and families don't. The origin of <clears throat> Table Talk Company a couple of weeks early this century, um, or last century, uh, got together um, and they started making pies. And, they, and their name came up as Table Talk because they wanted a product that would pull people together at the table and talk. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a the, neat. That's the origin of the uh, Table Talk. Yeah. Talking around the table so the pies would pull people in to do that. Yeah. That's wonderful. But it's the family unit. son that has 11 children. And they, they have dinner every night together. Yeah. They do everything together as a family. And they're a tight-knit family. But between the homework demands, athletic demands, and arts demands, then it's shredding the days. And children don't sleep well. Um, and sleep is actually a brainstem level function, so nothing of a higher order works well when we are sleep deprived. Um, and yet schools compromise sleep. Um, and this generation, in fact, for the prob probably for the last six to eight years, um, children have come into college and they absolutely have no respect for sleep. They'll say, I'll sleep when I die. It's like, well, it will happen a lot faster for you if you, if you don't take care of this. And, and it's also hard to be rational 
logical, thoughtful, and considerate if you're unslept. Yeah. I want to cycle back to the Lyceums. Is this something that First Parish is planning on establishing? Or you know, is it just an idea you're throwing out here? It's just my idea. So again, I was going to partner with Kim before she died such an untimely and young death. I'm hoping to find people that would help me create this, and I don't think it would take much because it is economical, because we do have all this talent here in town. Um, because I have talked to people like Mitch Cohen and um, uh, Jeannie and Joe Zaya and Greg Martineau to get their ideas. I have a thousand ideas. They just need to get operationalized. And I don't think so it would take that much. It's it's too orbits from from actually getting done. But I hope that there would be interest and generate interest here and maybe even somebody that would step forward and say I would help with the social media or I would help in whatever part. But I was thinking of getting the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts involved and always always keeping the value, the covenant I have with creating this is for it to be intergenerational. That's really important to me. So I know it's getting late and I keep looking at Laura's daughter and it's like, I'm so sorry, honey. <laughs> but I thank you very much. I would look forward to your ideas. Thank you. myself and take this on um, and so when we get started with opening the deck okay let me fingerprint myself open <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm.
Thank you very much. So I found the Lyceum to be a very interesting opportunity to consider how our past can inform our future, how we can inspire it, um, and really look at the needs of our forefathers and foremothers and what's possible today. So um, if you would go to the next one, because I've uh, in the agenda and I'm following this on my phone, it's really like, well, why me? <laughs> why am I doing this? Um, and then to give a historical overview about the Lyceum and certain points that I find of great interest um, in my effort to look at this as a vehicle for our, our present and our future, the topics and guests that were covered, and then the topics and guests that could be considered um, for reviving the Lyceum. So in the next one, why me? You know, so I, my thing is music and neuroscience, like what am I doing up here? But I became very, very interested in the 250th anniversary tour of a uh, celebration of the founding of Northborough. And most of you would probably know that First Parish was up and going as a church for 20 years before it sponsored the founding of the town of Northborough. You had to have somebody, you had to have a sponsorship by a church. There had to be enough people that supported a church that would support a town. And as you heard, Reverend Allen uh, was the third town minister. Um, and so the, most of the taxes went to the supporting of the church and the townhouse, which was the meeting house at the time. But why I got involved was learning about the pandemic of 1749 to 50, which was before the pandemic that we just went through. And even in the graveyard tour, I heard nothing about the children. So 60 children in this community died. And as, as a woman, as a mother, it just gutted me. I can't even imagine the grief that our earliest um, relations, our brothers and sisters of yore experienced in the loss of 60 children. There weren't enough families for that to mean that there was just one from each family plucked. I mean, people lost multiple children and then they had to wait until the spring to bury them. And that just slayed me. That sparked my interest in history in Northborough. Um, that, um, and it just started to snowball from there, honestly. At about the same time, I was learning more about my own history um, and seeing that. So my family uh, grew up in Sandwich. My father, they basically were there since the Mayflower, um, they got as far as Sandwich and there they stayed put. And the boardwalk that I've always loved to walk on, if you've ever been to Sandwich, was built by my great-great-grandfather and the town hall. So I started to get very interested in um, history and especially in reading the Mayflower um, and knowing that it was my relation that fell off the boat and happened to come back on. Um, and, and I am a descendant as well as people who spoke at the Lyceum. Um, so I found that that's what really jacked me up. Um, so I do serve on the regional school board and I see tremendous needs um, in modern day education. Um, I would not even, not casually say this, but modern education is killing our children. The uh, levels of stress and anxiety now are yet another epidemic, and actually they were epidemic before this pandemic. 
Um, and this gives me grave concerns. So I thought, well, maybe the Lyceum could help to speak to some of these topics. Um, and so I started to come here as a way of conjoining my work and my devotion to First Parish to those children, to that history. Um, and for any of you who have not been to First Parish, there is a history of the church and community and its ties to the community hung at the meeting house. And I'd be glad to invite you all to see that at any time. Um, I'm trained as a researcher, so that was the easy part. Um, what was interesting to me is that I've been going to Boston Conservatory since 1976. And then now I teach at Berkeley. And on the corner between the two is the Mass Historical Society, where I had never been. Although I like to peek in and at dark so I can see like the moldings and the, the interior design. So I started to go there as a researcher. And that has helped feed my curiosity, um, which is something that's never left me and is the gift of my education and probably my own personality. And this is definitely something I see killed out of children is curiosity. So I'm here to just put a stake in the ground of a curious mind. And um, I've always thought that I was an endless optimist. Um, despite my understanding of the world around me, I was born the day Jack Kennedy was elected. Um, and I think somehow that Camelot sprinkled into my DNA. So all of these brought me here tonight in this very unusual situation, at least for me. So in the next slide, looking, I love to look up the um, etymologies of words. And Lyceum is an odd word for sure, but it came from the Greek. And so at the top in this bended way is the area that had been the Lyceum um, outside of Athens where Aristotle and the learned people of the day considered the topics of the day um, in the various communications that they had, um, which I love learning in community. So as we consider in the next slide, the Lyceums in the US, um, the Lyceums were around pre and post Civil War and they actually involved the uh, mechanics institutes and agricultural organizations like the Grange, which our sweet neighbors have just moved in and have been uh, rehabbing. And so this was an important part of adult education in, in America. And it was primarily meant for the men, but certainly um, that need not be the case today. So the first ly Lyceum actually was formed in Millbury by Holbrook. Um, and what they were looking for at that time was a way to help people um, be educated and civil, not just civilized, but to be civil and addressing these topics at the time. All of the lectures included um, the arts. These were truly community events. People were not just talked to. There would be a talk and then a debate would follow. Um, they would have arts at these events and there were traveling troops of both lectures and artists that would go through. So um, it began here and you can see in this early quote to procure for youths an economical and practical education. And by economical they meant free or there were very inexpensive subscriptions that people could take. This was meant to occupy farmers during the winters, um, and so it gave them something to do, which I, I really like that notion of coming together in that way. So they were looking to diffuse rational and useful information. 
I will say sitting on the school committee, there have been times that it, there were, uh, that wasn't the case from the witnessing and the letters that we get. It was not rational. There was a lot of false information out there and false news is not new. That has circled through our societies in the past. But this was um, really important to see that this was addressed in those ages. Um, and they were looking to apply various sciences um, and things that were useful for arts in looking at the common good. And I would like that to be a theme, is to really considering the common good of us all. So Josiah Holbrook um, started the series in 1827, which probably Northborough was there at that time, but it just wasn't noted. And of course, it, it came quickly into our community. And there were 11 goals for the Lyceum. And I've highlighted three that I think are incredibly important and relevant for today. An improvement of conversation. Perhaps you were at the last town meeting. I found it really contentious. I found the energy there to be unnerving. Um, it's, it's more like a gotcha. You know, people getting up with this sort of gotcha, you know, I caught you. And it was edgy and it was uncomfortable. And I felt really sick afterwards. And I would like to think of the Lyceum as this opportunity to re-engage in conversation. And I think there's something to be learned from First Parish here that I'll bring out. I love intelligent amusement because I love to have fun learning. And I love and, and learn to have fun. Um, and it's economical. I enjoy Westboro Connects and the effort that they've made in Westboro, and they've had to go through making a 501c3 and to fundraise. I don't have the appetite for that, and I don't know many who could. And I admire their programming, but this is an opportunity to do something that would, be, would cost very little because, um, as Richard said, there's a tremendous amount of talent here in our own community. Of course, we're lucky enough to have a stunning library and it's really one of the reasons I moved to this town. Um, and looking at the professional development of teachers, I would love to have our teachers bringing off topics into this area as well. Um, so as we look at the next one, it will go to Reverend Allen, as we saw in the film, who was quite an intellect in himself and seemed to have such a very good time doing all of this as minister of the town and third minister of the church at First Parish. And these events were held weekly during the winter months. Women sat differently than the men in uh, different places than the men, and they were just innocent by-sitters um, that weren't particularly engaged. Uh, but of course, First Parish would be happy to host, again, a Lyceum where all are welcome. Some of the speakers that came to Northborough included Lowell Mason, who started the first music education program um, and convinced the Boston School Committees to create a music education program. And so we have him to thank for the importance of the arts in formal K-12 education. Horace Mann, who was a great um, advocate for education and himself very progressive. Frederick Douglass spoke here in Northborough as an abolitionist, as well as um, William and Ellen Craft, who is getting a lot of press in the Boston Globe lately. There'll be a movie coming out. Does everybody know their story? 
So William and Ellen Kraft were slaves in Alabama, I think it was. She was a light-skinned house slave and he was a dark-skinned male. And so she dressed as an old man. And because her skin was so smooth, they put this poultice on her, the two of them, put this poultice on her so it would look mealy and older. Um, and she traveled, the two of them traveled to freedom with him as her slave and she as an older white man. It's a hell of a story. It must have taken great courage to put aside the clothes, to put aside the outfits, what it took to plan, what they did for love, what they did for freedom. So they spoke here. Lucy Stone, of course, uh, the suffragette spoke here. Um, and she was a part of um, a previous uh, session here. And it's expected that tr the transcendentalists were also here um, because they lived right down the road. Many of our records at First Parish were lost when the church itself burned in 1947. Um, there are still a lot of records there that are precious indeed that have not been gone through. And really, I've gone into that room a few times and just been overwhelmed and just said, oh, the heck with it. You know, like I'm not a librarian, I'm not a historian, but there are a lot of precious things in the day. Very old Bibles are there. So I would love to think about the transcendentalists having been there because John Howland, when he fell off the Mayflower and came back on, I became a descendant as well as Emerson. Um, and so there is much to be gained from all of these people who came through, but very progressive, talking about issues of slavery, the abolitionists, the suffragettes, right here in our community, bringing this information to a farming community. So how could the Lyceum be reinvigorated to meet the needs of our, uh, our people today? How can our past inform our future? How can the values of improvement of conversation, of intelligent amusement, an economy being economical? And the question I would ask is, as we look at downtown and the unattractiveness of our downtown, um, the empty buildings, the um, dilapidated buildings, the empty lots, we've been asked to put up um, signs, what would we envision? What would we like to see? But I'm here to ask you through the lens of the Lyceum, how do we want our community to feel, no matter how it looks? How do we want it to feel to be in community together? I was just chuffed. I lived just two doors down the road. And I went down the street and ran into my new neighbors at the Grange, loved talking with them. My neighbor across the street in this beautiful house behind me, um, George Mahalwal, got to speak with him. That's how I want to feel in my neighborhood. That's not how I felt at town meeting. And that's the vision that I would like to bring to us to think about how do we want our community to feel. In that, I wanted you to offer inspiration, if you could advance a few, inspiration from First Parish. If you don't know about Unitarian Universalism, it's a little bit like um, trying to uh, gather cats all to go in one direction. It's, we are people who, um, and we can go to the next one if you please, thank you. 
We are people who may have grown up Catholic and may have grown up Jewish and may have grown up Muslim and maybe atheist or agnostic, but we come together honoring all of the faith traditions of the world. All are welcome. Everybody's search has something to mean, to, to mean. and why I serve on the governing board and have for the last six or seven years now, I think is because of the statements that we create. We have a contractual arrangements, job descriptions. I'm the clerk, I take the meeting minutes. So there's a job description there and I'm obligated to do that. But a covenant is how many UU organizations um, create their way of being. And so here we take time to process and not rush decisions. We commit to leaving the room whole and complete and trusting the group that what we bring up is in good intention. We aspire and commit to right relations and uphold the well-being of individuals and the whole group. We promise to listen attentively and free of judgment, operating honestly and openly. We deal with communications, break, particularly breakdowns in person, and we ask that people do that within on the same evening or the next night, preferably over a meal with a glass of wine. Like, let's get over it, let's get on with it, let's do the good work, let's heal. We actually have a right relations committee to support relationships. We want to dedicate ourselves as agents for positive change for First Parish, and I'm suggesting that the Lyceum dedicate itself to positive change for our community. And we release to say ourselves to say things that may be difficult to hear because we honor disagreement but we do so with respect. And I can say that we've dealt with some pretty thorny issues as any community of people would be, whether it's related to money, starting solar on our, on our roofs, whatever it was. But when we start each meeting with this, we can remind ourselves each time of how we want to be. And I look and see that the moderator now is in a race um, for the next election. Is this something that we can look toward in town meeting for the moderator to help create an ethos by which it doesn't get so edgy, it doesn't get so electric that we can come together. And I think the Lyceum can also support the town meeting as well. So this I feel is something that I learned from and this is really why I serve. So in the next slide, my dear, I looked at the community advocate for the past week and I thought about the different topics that are here. I love to celebrate the Best Buddies initiative at the high school where a high school student becomes friends with a child in special needs and helps bridge the divide that is both architectural. Most children with the special needs are, are secluded in a corridor, um, but they bridge this and they do things with them um, and they learn how to talk with somebody who perhaps is nonverbal, how to be with somebody um, in a loving way, in an accepting way. Um, I'm always concerned about our elders, and I live in back up to the uh, colonial village. And I know from the research of um, our Surgeon General that uh, people who live in social isolation which you can also do if you're in a crowd and feel alone. But people who live in social isolation alone have a 40% increased risk for dementia. 
we should be perhaps companioning our, uh, our elders in making the Best Buddies program intergenerational. Um, I would like to consider um, town planning from a place of stewardship and not dominion. Um, up and down Summer Street in the past couple of weeks has been the decimation of many, many beautiful trees. And I see none being planted. I don't see tree planting anywhere. And we have in Jean Cahill, one of the most extraordinary stewards that you could ever imagine. Jean, would you? Beautiful. So these two women are powerhouses of information, drive, and commitment. Um, and I would like to consider in the Bartlett Street um, proposal for um, the decimation of that land is when do we start stewarding those plots of, of biodiversity um, such that they are not lost forever. And I heard nobody speak for the trees at the town meeting. I heard nobody speak in that way. Um, in the, uh, the school calendar was a very, very um, intense discussion the other night, very civil, really, really, I was so pleased, and I said that to the superintendent um, afterwards, but in a community that is no longer Judaic Christian, is an effort to be inclusive, which would mean celebrating Eid in a school holiday, celebrating Chinese New Year, and it's becoming very complex. And it's important that we understand how our town is shifting and still consider, are we a welcoming community? And what does it mean in this modern age too? Um, I know on a yearly basis, we clean up the litter, but I've got to say that um, we've got an alcohol problem in this community. There's no doubt about it. If you walk, you will see all of the nips that are thrown out of cars or they are just thrown on the ground in concentric circles around each and every um, uh, liquor store. And the gentleman who owned the liquor store downtown sold it because he did not want to participate any longer in the corruption of our youth in vodkas sold for a dollar a bit that are flavored with blueberry or bubblegum. We have an alcohol problem here, and in this room on Saturday will be an AA meeting, which is overflowing. So I know that the, the Commonwealth is looking at this issue with NIPS uh, and, and its littering, and I think that um, this would be a wonderful opportunity because it is directed at our children, and our children are highly stressed. Why wouldn't they when they're a buck apiece? And when I've asked the various liquor store owners here, they say that people come in like people in their 20s and they're buying sleeves of these nips, they're called sleeves, where you get 20 or 40 at a time. And they're buying like 100 of them. So where are they distributing them? I would love to see intergenerational relationships. Um, again, I'm watching Colonial Village. Um, oh, you know what, I skipped one, sorry. If I go back here, um, the, uh, there was an Afghan refugee fundraiser. Um, and again, should just one church be doing that heavy lifting of bringing in a family? Um, and are we indeed a wel welcoming community? And then I would look toward, from the advocate about the resignations of major players, who is training the next generation of people to serve on these boards? 
Um, as a school committee member, I went with Jean to the Women's March in, in Boston, 100,000 people on the Boston Commons. Wow, I had never seen that in my life here. And people kept saying, you should do something, you should do something. And I'm looking around going, what are you going to do, Richard? What are you going to do? And then I went, oh, damn it, I got to do something. So I decided to run for school committee. I didn't have any particular creds aside from being a teacher myself. But do you know that when I became a part of the school committee, I didn't even know there were meetings in May, right? If the election was in May or, yeah, somebody said, oh, we're going to see you next week. I said, where am I going to be? They said, well, for a school committee meeting. I was like, it's summer. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. So, and, there, and that's an issue of onboarding people and bringing them up to speed so people who have served don't leave with that, that uh, accumulated wisdom. Um, that there is, and I see Laura Zeiten in, in the back who's, who's running for the Board of Selectmen. Where do we all learn how to do this? Let's take this intellectual capital and harvest it for the good of all. So on the next one, the possibilities as well, I I'll go back to that, that at Colonial Village that they have a beautiful sunroom and they have a nice gazebo, but I never see anybody there, ever. But where they are are clustered in the garden. And so what if, what if Algonquin in its industrial arts created raised beds for our elders so that everybody grew their own greens? What if those children paired with the elders to help them do the heavy lifting of dirt or whatever it takes so that they can have this way of coming together? This is the way for people to, to grow old in a hale and hearty way, both young and old alike. And then um, for, for White Cliffs, I put that on because I had somebody, a lovely woman, stop by my house and ask for me to sign some papers uh, for election, and, and I did, happily, because I knew those people, but asked me to sign the petition against the White Cliffs proposal and made a few good points, and so I just signed. But you know what? I didn't do the heavy lifting of actually having read the report. And once I did, I rescinded my signature um, because I wasn't concerned and I didn't, I didn't agree. Um, and I respectfully disagreed. So what I see is that the Lyceum could offer a presentation, whether it's the new $8 million complex at Algonquin or the Whitecliffs issue, so we are all on the same page. Yes, we are obliged to read those reports. Yes, we are obliged to do all that. Frankly, I don't have the bandwidth to do it. I really don't, as much as I care to. But this kind of program where I can be with my neighbors would thrill me. And then I would understand it. So let me speak to the athletic complex, because I know this is going to be a concern coming up. Eight million dollars. I was resistive in the beginning. It was just too much bread way too much money for me to wrap my head around. But then, as I've heard many presentations as a school board member, I'm okay with it. Because I got the information, and at this point, the superintendent has got a wonderful presentation. And before town meeting, I encourage you to look at Northborough Cable's last recording of our school committee meeting, and for about 10 minutes, you can come up to speed about what it means to your tax bill, 
in what it means to the community. And I'd have to say that I can't believe I'm saying it, but yes, I've done my due diligence and I did vote to accept it. And it was unanimously approved by the school committee to now bring to town meeting. Um, and I could see that. So for the next one, my proposal, which was one that I shared with, um, with Kim Tollander. And Kim and I were both excited about doing this last summer when she died at 47, out of the blue. And I got stalled. But I have this vision that First Parish, once again, as a historical structure in our community, um, could host this, that we would have live music, that we could have movies with theme and purpose. And so here are a couple thoughts about a meaningful movie night. Um, there was a film called We're Still Here, and it was a documentary about the revival of the Wampanoag um, tribal language, which of course whites had um, disallowed and hadn't been spoken orally for over a hundred years. Um, this revival was done in partnership with the MIT Linguistics um, organization, one of the finest linguistic groups in the world. Um, another might be the documentary of Fred Rogers' life, Mr. Rogers. Um, his biographer notes his legacy lives in the concept of a caring neighborhood where people watch out for one another, no matter where they come from or what they look like. Greg Martineau, when I asked him, and he's been involved in helping me think through this, suggested a film called In a Different Key, a documentary on a Pulitzer Prize finalist book with original music by Wynton Marsalis about neurodiversity. And how do we include people who are indeed, uh, have different learning styles and different perce perceptual styles. One of the things that happened back in the ancient, well not ancient Lyceum, but historic Lyceum, it was an essay contest, and the title was, What Does One Owe to the Town He, She, or They Live In? What do we owe to this town? We owe taxes, that's contractual, but covenantially, what do we owe one another? Um, so in the, um, I envision having catered meals having a meal catered by Zaytun in Clinton, if you haven't been there, wonderful food. This, this family is from Iraq, which is always humbling when I talk with them, but having a meal with our Muslim neighbors where you sit, Muslim, non-Muslim, and you break bread, and there's live music. That kind of an event is what I picture thus hosting. Um, panel discussions as well, which was always something I'd love to see um, an introduction to the helpers of our community, right? Fred Rogers would always say, look for the helpers. I'd like to know more about what the Rotary Club does. I see the sign, but I don't know who they are. The Lions Club, I'd like to know about them. I'm sure they need to be reinvigorated in their missions um, as well. And so those are some of the, the probable ideas where I would love to pair with like some really smart, sharp woman. I'm, I'm, I'm seducing Laura as we speak. So um, one of the, uh, one of the uh, conclusions for me was that there was, this gives me hope. 
and I find hope hard to find. I really do. So if I can't find it, then I want to create it. And I want to use a format that brings us together in disagreement that is covenantially um, satisfied through respect and kindness and brother, I disagree with you, but we walk together as brother and sister. I know I'm an idealist. I know I can't shake it. And frankly, I don't want to because I brought a child into this world. I did, and I care for children. I care for children very much. So I'll give Dr. Allen the final word. The annual course of fee lectures and debates was anticipated with a lively interest by young and old. It was attended not only by large numbers of our citizens, but by many from neighboring towns. Nor can it be doubted that it contributed in no small measure to the intellectual and moral improvement, as well as to the harmony and good fellowship of all classes of our population. It was in fact as well in theory as its founder designed it to be a great free school, a supplement to our district schools, to which was invited our whole population, and to which the people came without distinction of sect or party, to listen to lectures and debates commonly on subjects of general interest and practical importance. So um, that's, that's why I did this. That's why I joined the Historical um, Society. I wanted to see whether there's an appetite for this in our community to look at what divides us. If we want peace in the world, and we sing to it every year, right? And then we go about our business. But if we want peace in the world, there has to be peace within countries, which requires there be peace within our cities, and then within our towns, and then within our neighborhoods, and within ourselves. And so if we can't have top-down, Evolution, I sure would like to see bottom-up revolution. So this is what I have to offer this evening, and I'm more than happy to take questions or comments. Thank you. I think we can close it. Perhaps we could bring up the lights if there are any questions or comments. Hi, Michael. I see we open up First Parish. We have a meaningful movie night. We bring people together um, in a discussion of something that is not, elect, not an electric topic, but something like Fred Rogers. Um, that's, a, that's a beautiful movie. And just sit and talk about what does that mean? What does it mean in your neighborhood? What do, can it mean in your block? How do you feel about the people that you live around? Do you know their names? You know, we have a neighbor right down here who left uh, 50 yards of rubber on the road. Very difficult, challenging, kind of frightening guy. Like, how can I be in relationship with him? That's my question. What can I do to reach out and be in relationship with him and not be scared by him? Hi, Laura. I can't wait to hear that 
to, to go to your first event. It sounds wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe the winter months when we all have just a wee bit more space to come together and, and just to be in the light of, of friendship, my dear Jean. Uh, so Janet and I are both with the Rotary, and we would love to at some point <laughs> uh, tell more about what we do. But um, we do a program called Nutrition 68 out of the high school now, and we're there during the day while the school's in session. And it's so interesting to, as an adult, to go back, oh, there's another um, to walk through the hallways and like to hear what's going on in the classrooms. It's like you get this little privileged, like flying the wall perspective. But it made me think, like, I would love to like go sit in on one of those classes and just hear how school is taught today and what teachers and students how they interact and you know, mm -hmm. what is the quality of this education. I'm sure it's very high, but I love the idea you mentioned about like, would we be able to invite a teacher in? Oh yes. Mm -hmm. We see presentations, yeah, every, every month meeting, we get a presentation by a department. Um, and so that gives you a look, but it also, and sometimes students from that department will also come and talk. But I've said to um, the chair and to Superintendent Martineau, I don't want the sparkling 1% or 5% kid, the kid that's going to Dartmouth. I want to see the kid that's in the middle, and I want to see the kid that's struggling, and I want them to tell me how they're doing in that department. Because I think that um, the stress is way too high, and that's, that's on us, is expecting that these students get into memorizing everything. So I uh, have been a guest in a class for the past couple of semesters, and I'll say to them, how, how curious are you about the world? How, you know, I don't go in with an agenda, but I start asking questions. They're like, oh, could care less. We're just trying to get an A and get out of here. I see that at the college level. We have killed curiosity. Children don't read anymore. Did you see Vermont just eliminated the books throughout their library system? Yes. In the Vermont college system, they're eliminating books to close a gap of, I think, half a million dollars. And, and students now do not read. They do not read books. They do not read digital books. Many of them report this in, in my classes. Absolutely, I see it at the college level. If they're from Europe, they read. If they're from the States, they don't. I see the difference from around the world. If they're from Asia, they, they'll do anything you ask them to or tell them to. But in the States, we've killed them. And I was just in this, and if you read in the Harbinger, they just produced Tartuffe, which is a 17th century play, I think. Um, and uh, directly the next day, the um, theater director resigned um, because he only was uh, a 0.6. And so if you read what the children had to say about the stress relief and the joy and the abundance of joy in that programming, we just took that out of them. And that's that drive to get kids in calculus. Even if the math department doesn't recommend a kid takes calculus, sometimes parents will go down and override that and force them to. We are making them miserable. I would, and teaching is shifting some, but um, uh, not, not fast enough. And it is 
like a steamship that's trying to turn its course. It takes tremendous energy and it takes tremendous time and distance. And every time we're talking about this, we're just throwing a spitball at the trajectory of that steamship. And that's my concern. If you look at the uh, CDC report on adolescent well-being and the Metro West Health Survey, the suicide ideation is unbelievable. It's completely unacceptable. And when I go to school committee meetings, in my book is a young woman, she was a sophomore at Grafton, fabulous, straight A student into all the sports and everything. She leapt off a bridge onto the Mass Pike because she couldn't take it anymore. That's why I serve. This is what's happening to our children. The anxiety and depression, I'll be surprised if a student from the States doesn't tell me that they have an anxiety disorder at the college level now. And this is what I'm seeing, and it just slays me. We as a society need to come around and think about what is the value of an education against the value of stressing them at this point, because that is not the way for them to even grow old in a hale and hearty way. Yeah. Michael? Oh, sorry. So my students, and it goes back five years now, they didn't even take notes. They would just run up with their phones and take pictures of whatever I wrote on the board. And this was physics. They just didn't invest themselves. And again, the curiosity wasn't there to uh, push them along to want to learn. And they just Googled everything. They go. And so then why do we ask them to memorize? Well, that's, but the, here's the thing. If you can Google everything, you don't need to memorize. That's it. On but the other the, hand, if you Google everything, well, and then that's where we need to teach executive functions, where you know how to manage that information, you know how to deductively reason with it and problem solve with it. That's where I would like to see it, it to go, because if you can Google it, then what are you going to do with it? But I know that our daughter had to take um, quizzes on golf, because she had to memorize terms about golf in gym. And that's just one of you know, many quizzes that she would have done. Memorization, our brains aren't actually meant to memorize this much information and to just keep putting it back, which has created the cheating. There was an epidemic of cheating. We saw it at Harvard. Um, we saw it at the Naval Academy that we're just asking too much and we're still keeping the demands high. You know, it's funny to think about, an, C is an average mark. <laughs> Nobody would accept a C anymore. Michael? Kathy, um, you see the quick fix mentality is a big problem. Also, do you see television as having maybe a contributor that we have in this country? And maybe the way people, not the iPhone itself, the way young people are addicted to this iPhone, the way mm -hmm. they're using it. Mm -hmm. And they want instant information, bang, bang, bang. And they don't, their pace, their mind is working at a pace that would be um, incomprehensible, perhaps, to Joseph Allen and some of these other people. Oh, yes. Who could sit and, yes, I say if you don't have organic ADD, get one of these. We can give it to you environmentally, right? No longer can you stand at Starbucks waiting for your change and you can just play one more Sudoku move or whatever it is that you're on, one more text. It is, it is absolutely um, 
challenging our systems. So our brains, I do a lot in um, evolutionary biology, and our brains haven't changed in at least 50,000 years. But look at the demands that have been placed. So now at the college, not only do I have emails to deal with, and I have Google Drive and Apple Drive, um, but now we have Slack, which also loads documents and has emails with other people. So, and this is supposed to be easier, it's just more and more and more layers of communication. I have five um, email addresses I can't keep up. And in fact, I don't want to keep up. It keeps me from doing embroidery. It keeps me from walking with my dog, visiting with friends. And so I see at the schools, they go in and park them in these hotels. But if we had meaningful engagement and had them out of the house and in social time, I, I think it would do, they would naturally start to gravitate toward other things than always being on it, but they are always on it. And I have students that come in and sit down and open up their laptop. I don't know what they're doing. It doesn't look like anything that's related to what I'm doing. Yes, the Rotarian. I would be glad to. I would be really glad to. Our Solar Jazz Fest was enormously helped by the Westboro Rotary in the last year or two because we happened to know somebody. My husband taught um, music to their son, and that's how the Facendas, that's how we got to um, connect with them. But lo really admire the work, particularly the environmentalism is just stunning and the worldwide reach. So thank you. I would love to talk with you. There, there is another church in town that does have um, music programs once a month. Yes. To the community, and they do have community meals. However, COVID shut it down as coming in to the building and having, having a meal. Yes. So we have to pass them out as the cars go by. But it is what, along with what you were saying. The more um, churches that do that, the better. Or other communities. Yeah, I love that. So I participated in First Parish, in fact. Lucy Phillips' daughter, Alea, used to play violin at them just for added value. And what I found was I had to stop participating as an environmentalist. I couldn't stand that everything was throwaway. You know, it's like if, we're going to, if, I, if you're going to come to my, my home, I'm bringing out my china, I'm bringing out a nice tablecloth, and this is that other place I'd like to see that it's not just the food, but it's everything that goes around it that's a ritual of thoughtfulness and hospitality and would love to see us get back to that. But yes, we have Open Mic that's run by Lori and Adi Pandit once a month at First Parish, bringing people together in music. And we're seeing wonderful um, uh, artists of neuro with neurodiverse minds coming to that as well, which is just so precious to us. And my husband runs um, jazz programming with the Solar Jazz. And so we're getting Berkeley and Northboro, essentially. Um, and that's really fantastic. I was referring to Trinity Church. Yes. In addition to First Parish. Yes. That people recognize that there's many of them within town. Yes, absolutely. And we also at First Parish have a Russian-trained pianist. You cannot believe the level of music we get. 
um, at church, Chopin, Schubert, it's just, it's marvelous. So music was always a part of the Lyceum and anything that I envisioned would always have live music and the musicians would be paid. If I have to pay them, I will pay them, but the musicians will be paid. Yeah, think, Michael. I think your idea, Kelly, is great about tell me up top, it, it's not that heavy. It's mm -hmm. not going to advise it's just a very neutral but pleasant and something people can talk about. I mean, we come to, and without any iPhones, and just say, we're going to analyze, we're going to evaluate here, we're just going to talk like creative thinkers and even critical thinkers, but in, in a positive, not, not a negative critical, but just to think in an analytical way. And that's something we're missing so much of us, is having a lot of specialties. Yep. I think it's important to not focus on what's wrong, but to really look at what can be righter. You know, what does it mean to live in community by asking those questions versus what's wrong with our community is really looking at what does it mean to be in a neighborly relationship. You know, um, I think we've gotten so far away from that. And um, my husband and I lived in a community where we never knew the people around us. Nobody ever came to say hello and nobody ever said goodbye. You know, because Framingham just seemed more transient and I just, um, I, I don't enjoy that. So when our neighbors moved into the Grange Hall, there were what, eight or 10 of us that went down there with cake and flowers and got to meet them and celebrate them restoring this home and getting to know them. And it's, it's, um, it's how I wanna live, do you? Would you like that too? Yeah. My dear. young people could go and meet other young people and have like a swing night or you know those are, I, I do think we have an epidemic of loneliness um, in young people mm -hmm. in young men who don't know who don't date you know it's it, I just think there were a lot of things we don't even recognize but like I hear from people you know I hear from other young people and we I just don't see us moving in that direction of like rebuilding community level institutions that Right. And Vivek Murthy, our current Surgeon General, wrote a delightful, wonderful, powerful book called Together on the Pandemic of Social Isolation. And that came out before this pandemic, which only ever added to social isolation as we sheltered in place for COVID. But you're right, it is a very, very serious problem. Um, and one that will be economically buckling too if we really don't take a look at it because the more people who become demented simply because they live alone, you know, is obviously adding and actually dementia is the one diagnosis that can bankrupt Medicare by itself. Yeah, yeah.
I think that there's a big part of that there um, because I ask the students when I go into this classroom, how many times a week do you get to eat with your family, eat as a family, and it's modest. And so the Massachusetts uh, Intramural Athletic Association actually has a tremendous amount of power. Um, and so if, they, if students don't attend athletic events, on a Sunday morning at 7 a.m. in Milton or whatever, then they lose their placements in those teams. And so it's those kind of schedules that have really started to tear apart families where you're running in several directions for activities and trying to keep up and, and not, it's, they've started to mandate um, what happens out, schools have mandated what happens outside of the school day and families don't. The origin of tabletop company a couple of weeks early this century, um, or last century, uh, got together um, and they started making pies. And they, their name came up as Tabletop because they wanted a product that would pull people together at the table and talk. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a the, neat. That's the origin of the uh, Tabletop. Yeah. Talking around the table so the pies would pull people in to do that. Yeah. That's wonderful. But it's the family son that has 11 children. And they, they have dinner every night together. Yeah. They do everything together as a family. And they're a tight-knit family. But between the homework demands, athletic demands, and arts demands, then it's shredding the days. And children don't sleep well. Um, and sleep is actually a brainstem level function, so nothing of a higher order works well when we are sleep deprived. Um, and yet schools compromise sleep. Um, and this generation, in fact, for the prop, probably for the last six to eight years, um, children have come into college and they absolutely have no respect for sleep. They'll say, I'll sleep when I die. It's like, well, it will happen a lot faster for you if you, if you don't take care of this. And, and it's also hard to be rational, logical, thoughtful, and considerate if you're unslept. Yeah. I want to cycle back to the Lyceums. Is this something that First Parish is planning on establishing? Or you know, is just an idea you're throwing out here? It's just my idea. So again, I was going to partner with Kim before she died such an untimely and young death. I'm hoping to find people that would help me create this and I don't think it would take much because it is economical, because we do have all this talent here in town. Um, because I have talked to people like Mitch Cohen and um, uh, Jeannie and Joe Zaya and Greg Martineau to get their ideas. I have a thousand ideas. They just need to get operationalized. And I don't think so it would it's take not that much. That is in the works. It's it's two orbits from from actually getting done. Okay. But I hope that there would be interest and generate interest here, and maybe even somebody that would step forward say, "I would help with the social media, or, or I would help in whatever part." But I was thinking of getting the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts involved and always, always keeping the value, the covenant I have with creating this is for it to be intergenerational. That's really important to me. So I know it's getting late and I keep looking at Laura's daughter and it's like, I'm so sorry, honey. <laughs>
But I thank you very much. I would look forward to your ideas. myself and take this on. Um, and so when we get started with opening the deck, okay, let me fingerprint myself open. <laughs> Thank you very much. So I found the Lyceum to be a very interesting opportunity to consider how our past can inform our future, how we can inspire it, um, and really look at the needs of our forefathers and foremothers and what's possible today. So um, if you would go to the next one, because I've uh, in the agenda and I'm following this on my phone, it's really like, well, why me? <laughs> why am I doing this? Um, and then to give a historical overview about the Lyceum and certain points that I find of great interest um, in my effort to look at this as a vehicle for our, our present and our future, the topics and guests that were covered, and then the topics and guests that could be considered um, for reviving the Lyceum. So in the next one, why me? You know, so I, my thing is music and neuroscience, like what am I doing up here? But I became very, very interested in the 250th anniversary tour of a uh, celebration of the founding of Northborough. And m most of you would probably know that 
First Parish was up and going as a church for 20 years before it sponsored the founding of the town of Northborough. You had to have somebody, you had to have a sponsorship by a church. There had to be enough people that supported a church that would support a town. And as you heard, Reverend Allen uh, was the third town minister. Um, and so the, most of the taxes went to the supporting of the church and the townhouse, which was the meeting house at the time. But why I got involved was learning about the pandemic of 1749 to 50, which was before the pandemic that we just went through. And even in the graveyard toward, I heard nothing about the children. So 60 children in this community died. And as, as a woman, as a mother, it just gutted me. I can't even imagine the grief that our earliest um, relations, our brothers and sisters of yore experienced in the loss of 60 children. There weren't enough families for that to mean that there was just one from each family plucked. I mean, people lost multiple children and then they had to wait until the spring to bury them. And that just slayed me. That sparked my interest in history in Northborough. Um, that, um, and it just started to snowball from there, honestly. At about the same time, I was learning more about my own history um, and seeing that. So my family uh, grew up in Sandwich. My father, they basically were there since the Mayflower. Um, they got as far as Sandwich and there they stayed put. And the boardwalk that I've always loved to walk on, if you've ever been to Sandwich, was built by my great-great-grandfather and the town hall. So I started to get very interested in um, history and especially in reading the Mayflower um, and knowing that it was my relation that fell off the boat and happened to come back on. Um, and, and I am a descendant as well as people who spoke at the Lyceum. Um, so I found that that's what really jacked me up. Um, so I do serve on the regional school board and I see tremendous needs um, in modern-day education. Um, I would not even, not casually say this, but modern education is killing our children. The uh, levels of stress and anxiety now are yet another epidemic, and actually they were epidemic before this pandemic. Um, and this gives me grave concerns. So I thought, well, maybe the Lyceum could help to speak to some of these topics. Um, and so I started to come here as a way of conjoining my work and my devotion to First Parish, to those children, to that history. Um, and for any of you who have not been to First Parish, there is a history of the church and community and its ties to the community hung at the meeting house. And I'd be glad to invite you all to see that at any time. Um, I'm trained as a researcher, so that was the easy part. Um, what was interesting to me is that I've been going to Boston Conservatory since 1976, and then now I teach at Berkeley, and on the corner between the two is the Mass Historical Society, where I had never been, although I like to peek in and at dark so I can see like the moldings and the, the interior design. So I started to go there as a researcher, and that has helped feed my curiosity, um, which is something that's never left me and is the gift of my education and probably my own personality. And this is definitely something I see killed out of children is curiosity. So I'm here to just put a stake in the ground of a curious mind. 
And um, I've always thought that I was an endless optimist. Um, despite my understanding of the world around me, I was born the day Jack Kennedy was elected. Um, and I think somehow that Camelot sprinkled into my DNA. So all of these brought me here tonight in this very unusual situation, at least for me. So in the next slide, looking, I love to look up the um, etymologies of words. And Lyceum is an odd word for sure, but it came from the Greek. And so at the top in this bended way is the area that had been the Lyceum um, outside of Athens, where Aristotle and the learned people of the day considered the topics of the day um, in the various communications that they had. Um, which I love learning in community. So as we consider in the next slide, the Lyceums in the US, um, the Lyceums were around pre and post Civil War and they actually involved the uh, mechanics institutes and agricultural organizations like the Grange, which our sweet neighbors have just moved in and have been uh, rehabbing. And so this was an important part of adult education in, in America. And it was primarily meant for the men, but certainly um, that need not be the case today. So the first ly lyceum actually was formed in Millbury by Holbrook. Um, and what they were looking for at that time was a way to help people um, be educated and civil not just civilized, but to be civil and addressing these topics at the time. All of the lectures included um, the arts. These were truly community events. People were not just talked to. There would be a talk and then a debate would follow. Um, they would have arts at these events and there were traveling troops of both lectures and artists that would go through. So um, it began here, and you can see in this early quote, to procure for youths an economical and practical education. And by economical, they meant free, or there were very inexpensive subscriptions that people could take. This was meant to occupy farmers during the winters, um, and so it gave them something to do, which I, I really like that notion of coming together in that way. So they were looking to diffuse rational and useful information. I will say sitting on the school committee, there have been times that it, there were, uh, that wasn't the case from the witnessing and the letters that we get. It was not rational. There was a lot of false information out there and false news is not new. That is circled through our societies in the past. But this was, um, really important to see that this was addressed in those ages. Um, and they were looking to apply various sciences um, and things that were useful for arts in looking at the common good. And I would like that to be a theme, is to really considering the common good of us all. So Josiah Holbrook um, started the series in 1827, which Probably Northborough was there at that time, but it just wasn't noted. And of course, it, it came quickly into our community. And there were 11 goals for the Lyceum. And I've highlighted three that I think are incredibly important and relevant for today. An improvement of conversation. Perhaps you were at the last town meeting. I found it really contentious. I found the energy there to be unnerving. Um, it's, it's more like a gotcha. 
you know, people getting up with this sort of gotcha, you know, I caught you. And it was edgy and it was uncomfortable. And I felt really sick afterwards. And I would like to think of the Lyceum as this opportunity to re-engage in conversation. And I think there's something to be learned from First Parish here that I'll bring out. I love intelligent amusement because I love to have fun learning. And I love and, and learn to have fun. Um, and it's economical. I enjoy Westboro Connects and the effort that they've made in Westboro. And they've had to go through making a 501c3 and to fundraise. I don't have the appetite for that. And I don't know many who could. And I admire their programming. But this is an opportunity to do something that would, be, would cost very little. Because um, as Richard said, there's a tremendous amount of talent here in our own community. Of course, we're lucky enough to have a stunning library. And it's really one of the reasons I moved to this town. Um, and looking at the professional development of teachers, I would love to have our teachers bringing our topics into this area as well. Um, so as we look at the next one, it will go to Reverend Allen, as we saw in the film, who was quite an intellect in himself and seemed to have such a very good time doing all of this as minister of the town and third minister of the church at First Parish. And these events were held weekly during the winter months. Women sat differently than the men and uh, different places than the men. And they were just innocent by-sitters um, that weren't particularly engaged. Uh, but of course, First Parish would be happy to host. Again, a Lyceum where all are welcome. Some of the speakers that came to Northborough included Lowell Mason, who started the first music education program um, and convinced the Boston School Committees to create a music education program. And so we have him to thank for the importance of the arts in formal K-12 education. Horace Mann, who was a great um, advocate for education and himself very progressive. Frederick Douglass spoke here in Northborough as an abolitionist, as well as um, William and Ellen Craft, who is getting a lot of press in the Boston Globe lately. There'll be a movie coming out. Does everybody know their story? So William and Ellen Craft were slaves in Alabama, I think it was. She was a light-skinned house slave, and he was a dark-skinned male. And so she dressed as an old man. And because her skin was so smooth, they put this poultice on her. The two of them put this poultice on her so it would look mealy and older. Um, and she traveled, the two of them traveled to freedom with him as her slave and she as an older white man. It's a hell of a story. It must have taken great courage to put aside the clothes, to put aside the outfits, what it took to plan, what they did for love, what they did for freedom. So they spoke here. Lucy Stone, of course, uh, the suffragette spoke here. Um, and she was a part of um, a previous uh, session here. And it's expected that tr the transcendentalists were also here um, because they lived right down the road. Many of our records at First Parish were lost when the church itself burned in 1947. Um, there are still a lot of 
records there that are precious indeed that have not been gone through and really I've gone into that room a few times and just been overwhelmed and just said oh the heck with it you know like I'm not a librarian I'm not a historian but there are a lot of precious things in the day very old Bibles are there so I would love to think about the transcendentalists having been there because John Howland when he fell off the Mayflower and came back on I became a descendant as well as Emerson um, and so there is much to be gained from all of these people who came through, but very progressive, talking about issues of slavery, the abolitionists, the suffragettes, right here in our community, bringing this information to a farming community. So how could the Lyceum be reinvigorated to meet the needs of our, uh, our people today? How can our past inform our future? How can the values of improvement of conversation, of intelligent amusement in economy being economical? And the question I would ask is, as we look at downtown and the unattractiveness of our downtown, um, the empty buildings, the um, dilapidated buildings, the empty lots, we've been asked to put up um, signs, what would we envision? What would we like to see? But I'm here to ask you through the lens of the Lyceum, how do we want our community to feel, no matter how it looks? How do we want it to feel to be in community together? I was just chuffed. I lived just two doors down the road. And I went down the street and ran into my new neighbors at the Grange, loved talking with them, my neighbor across the street in this beautiful house behind me, um, George Mahalwal, got to speak with him. That's how I want to feel in my neighborhood. That's not how I felt at town meeting. And that's the vision that I would like to bring to us to think about how do we want our community to feel. In that, I wanted you to offer inspiration, if you could advance a few, inspiration from First Parish. If you don't know about Unitarian Universalism, it's a little bit like um, trying to uh, gather cats all to go in one direction. It's, we are people who, um, and we can go to the next one if you please, thank you. We are people who may have grown up Catholic and may have grown up Jewish and may have grown up Muslim and maybe atheist or agnostic, but we come together honoring all of the faith traditions of the world. All are welcome. Everybody's search has something to mean. To, to mean. And why I serve on the governing board and have for the last six or seven years now, I think is because of the statements that we create we have a contractual arrangements, job descriptions. I'm the clerk. I take the meeting minutes. So there's a job description there, and I'm obligated to do that. But a covenant is how many UU organizations um, create their way of being. And so here, we take time to process and not rush decisions. We commit to leaving the room whole and complete and trusting the group that what we bring up is in good intention. We aspire and commit to right relations and uphold the well-being of individuals and the whole group. We promise to listen attentively and free of judgment, operating honestly and openly. We deal with communications, break, particularly breakdowns in person, and we ask that people do that within 
on the same evening or the next night, preferably over a meal with a glass of wine. Like, let's get over it, let's get on with it, let's do the good work, let's heal. We actually have a right relations committee to support relationships. We want to dedicate ourselves as agents for positive change for First Parish, and I'm suggesting that the Lyceum dedicate itself to positive change for our community. And we release to say ourselves to say things that may be difficult to hear because we honor disagreement, but we do so with respect. And I can say that we've dealt with some pretty thorny issues as any community of people would be, whether it's related to money, starting solar, on our, on our roofs, whatever it was. But when we start each meeting with this, we can remind ourselves each time of how we want to be. And I look and see that the moderator now is in a race um, for the next election. Is this something that we can look toward in town meeting for the moderator to help create an ethos by which it doesn't get so edgy, it doesn't get so electric that we can come together. And I think the Lyceum can also support the town meeting as well. So this I feel is something that I learned from and this is really why I serve. So in the next slide, my dear, I looked at the community advocate for the past week and I thought about the different topics that are here. I love to celebrate the Best Buddies initiative at the high school where a high school student becomes friends with a child in special needs and helps bridge the divide that is both architectural. Most children with a special needs are, are secluded in a corridor, um, but they bridge this and they do things with them um, and they learn how to talk with somebody who perhaps is nonverbal, how to be with somebody um, in a loving, way, in an accepting way. Um, I'm always concerned about our elders, and I live in back up to the uh, colonial village. And I know from the research of um, our Surgeon General that uh, people who live in social isolation, which you can also do if you're in a crowd and feel alone, but people who live in social isolation alone have a 40% increased risk for dementia. We should be perhaps companioning our, uh, our elders in making the Best Buddies program intergenerational. Um, I would like to consider um, town planning from a place of stewardship and not dominion. Um, up and down, Summer Street in the past couple of weeks has been the decimation of many, many beautiful trees. And I see none being planted. I don't see tree planting anywhere. And we have in Jean Cahill, one of the most extraordinary stewards that you could ever imagine. Jean, Jean would you? Would you Beautiful. So these two women are powerhouses of information, drive, and commitment. Um, and I would like to consider in the Bartlett Street um, proposal for um, the decimation of that land is when do we start stewarding those plots of, of biodiversity um, such that they are not lost forever. And I heard nobody speak for the trees at the town meeting. I heard nobody speak in that way. Um, 
In the, uh, the school calendar was a very, very um, intense discussion the other night, very civil, really, really, I was so pleased, and I said that to the superintendent um, afterwards, but in a community that is no longer Judaic Christian, is an effort to be inclusive, which would mean celebrating Eid in a school holiday, celebrating Chinese New Year, and it's becoming very complex. And it's important that we understand how our town is shifting and still consider, are we a welcoming community? And what does it mean in this modern age too? Um, I know on a yearly basis, we clean up the litter, but I've got to say that um, we've got an alcohol problem in this community. There's no doubt about it. If you walk, you will see all of the nips that are thrown out of cars or they are just thrown on the ground in concentric circles around each and every um, uh, liquor store. And the gentleman who owned the liquor store downtown sold it because he did not want to participate any longer in the corruption of our youth in vodkas sold for a dollar a bit that are flavored with blueberry or bubblegum. We have an alcohol problem here, and in this room on Saturday will be an AA meeting, which is overflowing. So I know that the, the Commonwealth is looking at this issue with NIPS uh, and, and its littering, and I think that um, this would be a wonderful opportunity because it is directed at our children, and our children are highly stressed. Why wouldn't they when they're a buck apiece? And when I've asked the various liquor store owners here, they say that people come in like people in their 20s and they're buying sleeves of these nips, they're called sleeves, where you get 20 or 40 at a time. And they're buying like 100 of them. So where are they distributing them? I would love to see intergenerational relationships. Um, again, I'm watching Colonial Village. Um, oh, you know what? I skipped one, sorry. If I go back here, um, the, uh, there was an Afghan refugee fundraiser. Um, and again, should just one church be doing that heavy lifting of bringing in a family? Um, and are we indeed a wel welcoming community? And then I would look toward from the advocate about the resignations of major players, who is training the next generation of people to serve on these boards? Um, as a school committee member, I went with Jean to the Women's March in, in Boston, 100,000 people on the Boston Commons. Wow, I had never seen that in my life here. And people kept saying, you should do something, you should do something. And I'm looking around going, what are you going to do, Richard? What are you going to do? And then I went, oh, damn it, I got to do something. So I decided to run for school committee. I didn't have any particular creds aside from being a teacher myself. But do you know that when I became a part of the school committee, I didn't even know there were meetings in May, right? If the election was in May or, yeah, somebody said, oh, we're gonna see you next week. I said, where am I gonna be? They said, well, for a school committee meeting. I was like, it's summer. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. So, and, there, and that's an issue of onboarding people and bringing them up to speed so people who have served don't leave with that, that uh, accumulated wisdom. Um, that there is, and I see Laura Zeitin in, in the back who's, who's running for the Board of Selectmen. Where do we all learn how to do this? Let's 
take this intellectual capital and harvest it for the good of all. So on the next one, the possibilities as well, I I'll go back to that, that at Colonial Village, that they have a beautiful sunroom and they have a nice gazebo, but I never see anybody there, ever. But where they are, are clustered in the garden. And so what if, what if Algonquin in its industrial arts created raised beds for our elders so that everybody grew their own greens? What if those children paired with the elders to help them do the heavy lifting of dirt or whatever it takes so that they can have this way of coming together. This is the way for people to, to grow old in a hale and hearty way, both young and old alike. And then um, for, for White Cliffs, I put that on because I had somebody, a lovely woman, stop by my house and ask for me to sign some papers uh, for election, and, and I did, happily, because I knew those people, but asked me to sign the petition against the White Cliffs proposal and made a few good points and so I just signed. But you know what? I didn't do the heavy lifting of actually having read the report. And once I did, I rescinded my signature um, because I wasn't concerned and I didn't, I didn't agree. Um, and I respectfully disagreed. So what I see is that the Lyceum could offer a presentation, whether it's the new $8 million complex at Algonquin or the White Cliffs issue, so we are all on the same page. Yes, we are obliged to read those reports. Yes, we are obliged to do all that. Frankly, I don't have the bandwidth to do it. I really don't, as much as I care to. But this kind of program where I can be with my neighbors would thrill me. And then I would understand it. So let me speak to the athletic complex, because I know this is going to be a concern coming up. $8 million. I was resistive in the beginning. It was just too much bread, way too much money for me to wrap my head around. But then, as I've heard many presentations as a school board member, I'm OK with it because I got the information, and at this point, the superintendent has got a wonderful presentation, and before town meeting, I encourage you to look at Northborough Cable's last recording of our school committee meeting, and for about 10 minutes, you can come up to speed about what it means to your tax bill and what it means to the community. And I'd have to say that I can't believe I'm saying it, but yes, I've done my due diligence, and I did vote to accept it and it was unanimously approved by the school committee to now bring to town meeting. Um, and I could see that. So, for the next one. My proposal, which was one that I shared with, um, with Kim Tollender, and Kim and I were both excited about doing this last summer when she died at 47, out of the blue. And I got stalled. But I have this vision that First Parish, once again, as a historical structure in our community, um, could host this, that we would have live music, that we could have movies with theme and purpose. And so here are a couple thoughts about a meaningful movie night. Um, there was a film called We're Still Here, and it was a documentary about the revival of the Wampanoag um, tribal language, which of course whites had um, disallowed and hadn't been spoken orally for over a hundred years. 
Um, this revival was done in partnership with the MIT Linguistics um, Organization, one of the finest linguistic groups in the world. Um, another might be the documentary of Fred Rogers' life, Mr. Rogers. Um, his biographer notes his legacy lives in the concept of a caring neighborhood where people watch out for one another, no matter where they come from or what they look like. Greg Martineau, when I asked him, and he's been involved in helping me think through this, suggested a film called In a Different Key, a documentary on a Pulitzer Prize finalist book with original music by Wynton Marsalis about neurodiversity. And how do we include people who are indeed, uh, have different learning styles and different perce perceptual styles? One of the things that happened back in the ancient, well, not ancient Lyceum, but historic Lyceum, it was an essay contest. And the title was, what does one owe to the town he, she, or they live in? What do we owe to this town? We owe taxes, that's contractual. But covenantially, what do we owe one another? Um, so in the, um, I envision having catered meals, having a meal catered by Zaytun in Clinton, if you haven't been there, wonderful food. This, this family is from Iraq, which is always humbling when I talk with them. But having a meal with our Muslim neighbors where you sit Muslim, non-Muslim, and you break bread, and there's live music. That kind of an event is what I picture thus hosting. Um, panel discussions as well, which was always something. I'd love to see um, an introduction to the helpers of our community, right? Fred Rogers would always say, look for the helpers. I'd like to know more about what the Rotary Club does. I see the sign, but I don't know who they are. The Lions Club, I'd like to know about them. I'm sure they need to be reinvigorated in their missions um, as well. And so those are some of the, the probable ideas where I would love to pair with like some really smart, sharp woman. I'm, I'm, I'm seducing Laura as we speak. So um, one of the, uh, one of the uh, conclusions for me was that there was, this gives me hope, and I find hope hard to find. I really do. So if I can't find it, then I want to create it. And I want to use a format that brings us together in disagreement that is covenantially um, satisfied through respect and kindness. And brother, I disagree with you, but we walk together as brother and sister. I know. I'm an idealist. I know I can't shake it. And frankly, I don't want to because I brought a child into this world. I did, and I care for children. I care for children very much. So I'll give Dr. Allen the final word. The annual course of fee lectures and debates was anticipated with a lively interest by young and old. It was attended not only by large numbers of our citizens, but by many from neighboring towns. Nor can it be doubted that it contributed in no small measure to the intellectual and moral improvement, as well as to the harmony and good fellowship of all classes of our population. It was, in fact, as well in theory as its founder designed it to be a great free school, 
a supplement to our district schools, to which was invited our whole population, and to which the people came without distinction of sect or party, to listen to lectures and debates commonly on subjects of general interest and practical importance. So um, that's, that's why I did this. That's why I joined the historical um, society. I wanted to see whether there's an appetite for this in our community to look at what divides us. If we want peace in the world, and we sing to it every year, right? And then we go about our business. But if we want peace in the world, there has to be peace within countries, which requires there be peace within our cities, and then within our towns, and then within our neighborhoods, and within ourselves. And so if we can't have top-down evolution, I sure would like to see bottom-up revolution. So this is what I have to offer this evening, and I'm more than happy to take questions or comments. Thank you. I think we can close it. Perhaps we could bring up the lights if there are any questions or comments. Hi, Michael. I see we open up First Parish. We have a meaningful movie night. We bring people together um, in a discussion of something that is not, elect not an electric topic, but something like Fred Rogers. Um, that's, a, that's a beautiful movie. And just sit and talk about what does that mean? What does it mean in your neighborhood? What do, can it mean in your block? How do you feel about the people that you live around? Do you know their names? You know, we have a neighbor right down here who left uh, 50 yards of rubber on the road. Very difficult, challenging, kind of frightening guy. Like, how can I be in relationship with him? That's my question. What can I do to reach out and be in relationship with him and not be scared by him? Hi, Laura. I can't wait to, to, to go to your first event. It sounds wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe the winter months when we all have just a wee bit more space to come together and, and just to be in the light of, of friendship, my dear Jean. Uh, so Janet and I are both with Perjury, and we would love to at some point <laughs> uh, tell more about what we do. But um, we do a program called Nutrition 68 out of the high school now, and we're there during the day while the school's in session. And it's so interesting to, as an adult, to go back. Oh, there's another fellow Perjury. Um, to walk through the hallways and like to hear what's going on in the classrooms. It's like you get this little privilege, like flying the whole perspective. But it made me think, like, I would love to like go sit in on one of those classes and just hear how school is taught today and what teachers and students how they interact and you know, mm. what is the quality of this education. I'm sure it's very high, but I love the idea you mentioned about like, would we be able to invite a teacher in? Oh yes. Mm -hmm. you know, for just that we see presentations, yeah, every 
every month meeting, we get a presentation by a department. Um, and so that gives you a look, but it also, and sometimes students from that department will also come and talk. But I've said to um, the chair and to Superintendent Martineau, I don't want the sparkling 1% or 5% kid, the kid that's going to Dartmouth. I want to see the kid that's in the middle and I want to see the kid that's struggling and I want them to tell me how they're doing in that department. Because I think that um, the stress is way too high and that's, that's on us, is expecting that these students get into memorizing everything. So I uh, have been a guest in a class for the past couple of semesters, and I'll say to them, how, how curious are you about the world? How, you know, I don't go in with an agenda, but I start asking questions. They're like, oh, could care less. We're just trying to get an A and get out of here. <laughs> I see that at the college level. We have killed curiosity. Children don't read anymore. Did you see Vermont just eliminated the books throughout their library system? Yes. In the Vermont college system, they're eliminating books to close a gap of, I think, half a million dollars. And, and students now do not read. They do not read books. They do not read digital books. Many of them report this in, in my classes. Absolutely, I see it at the college level. If they're from Europe, they read. If they're from the States, they don't. I see the difference from around the world. If they're from Asia, they, they'll do anything you ask them to or tell them to. But in the States, we've killed them. And I was just in this, and if you read in the Harbinger, they just produced Tartuffe, which is a 17th century play, I think. Um, and uh, directly the next day, the um, theater director resigned um, because he, only was a 0.6. And so if you read what the children had to say about the stress relief and the joy and the abundance of joy in that programming, we just took that out of them. And that's that drive to get kids in calculus. Even if the math department doesn't recommend a kid takes calculus, sometimes parents will go down and override that and force them to. We are making them miserable. I would, in teaching, is shifting some, but um, uh, not, not fast enough. And it is like a steamship that's trying to turn its course. It takes tremendous energy, and it takes tremendous time and distance. And every time we're talking about this, we're just throwing a spitball at the trajectory of that steamship. And that's my concern. If you look at the uh, CDC report on adolescent well-being and the Metro West, health survey, the suicide ideation is unbelievable. It's completely unacceptable. And when I go to school committee meetings, in my book is a young woman, she was a sophomore at Grafton, fabulous, straight A student into all the sports and everything. She leapt off a bridge onto the Mass Pike because she couldn't take it anymore. That's why I serve. This is what's happening to our children. The anxiety and depression, I'll be surprised if a student from the States doesn't tell me that they have an anxiety disorder at the college level now. And this is what I'm seeing, and it just slays me. We as a society need to come around and think about what is the value of an education 
against the value of stressing them at this point because that is not the way for them to even grow old in a hale and hearty way. Yeah. Michael? Oh, sorry. So my students, and it goes back five years now, they didn't even take notes. They would just run up with their phones and take pictures of whatever I wrote on the board. And this was physics. They just didn't invest themselves. And again, the curiosity wasn't there to uh, push them along to want to learn. They just Googled everything. They do. And so then why do we ask them to memorize? Well, that's, but the, here's the thing. If you can Google everything, you don't need to memorize. That's it. On but the other hand, if you Google everything, not, you have no retention of the subject. Well, and then that's where we need to teach executive functions, where you know how to manage that information. You know how to deductively reason with it and problem solve with it. That's where I would like to see it, it to go. Because if you can Google it, then what are you going to do with it? But I know that our daughter had to take um, quizzes on golf because she had to memorize terms about golf in gym. And that's just one of you know, many quizzes that she would have done. Memorization, our brains aren't actually meant to memorize this much information and to just keep putting it back, which has created the cheating. It was an epidemic of cheating. We saw it at Harvard. Um, we saw it at the Naval Academy that we're just asking too much and we're still keeping the demands high. You know, it's funny to think about an C is an average mark. <laughs> Nobody would accept a C anymore. Michael? Oh yes, who could sit and, yes, I say if you don't have organic ADD, get one of these, we can give it to you environmentally, right? No longer can you stand at Starbucks waiting for your change and you can just play one more Sudoku move or whatever it is that you're on, one more text. It is, it is absolutely um, challenging our systems. So our brains, I do a lot in... Um, evolutionary biology, and our brains haven't changed in at least 50,000 years. But look at the demands that have been placed. So now at the college, not only do I have emails to deal with, and I have Google Drive and Apple Drive, um, but now we have Slack, which also loads documents and has emails with other people. So, and this is supposed to be easier, it's just more and more and more layers of communication. I have five um, email addresses I can't keep up and in fact I don't want to keep up it keeps me from doing embroidery it keeps me from walking with my dog visiting with friends and so I see at the schools they go in and park them in these hotels but if we had meaningful engagement and had them out of the house and in social time I, I think it would do, they would naturally start to gravitate toward other things than always being on it, but they are always on it. And I have students that come in and sit down and open up their laptop. I don't know what they're doing. 
it doesn't look like anything that's related to what I'm doing. Yes, the Rotarian. I would be glad to. I would be really glad to. Our Solar Jazz Fest was enormously helped by the Westboro Rotary in the last year or two because we happened to know somebody. My husband taught um, music to their son, and that's how the Facendas, that's how we got to um, connect with them. But really admire the work, particularly the environmentalism is just stunning, and the worldwide reach. So thank you. I would love to talk with you. There, there is another church in town that does have um, music programs once a month. Yes. To the community, and they do have community meals. However, COVID shut it down as coming in to the building and having, having a meal. Yes. We have to pass them out as the cars go by. But it is what, along with what you were saying. The more um, churches that do that, the better. Or other communities. Yeah, I love that. So I participated in First Parish, in fact. Lucy Phillips' daughter, Alea, used to play violin at them just for added value. And what I found was I had to stop participating as an environmentalist. I couldn't stand that everything was throwaway. You know, it's like if, we're going to, if, I, if you're going to come to my, my home, I'm bringing out my china. I'm bringing out a nice tablecloth. And this is that other place I'd like to see that it's not just the food, but it's everything that goes around it that's a ritual of thoughtfulness and hospitality and would love to see us get back to that. But yes, we have Open Mic that's run by Lori and Adi Pandit once a month at First Parish, bringing people together in music. And we're seeing wonderful um, uh, artists of neuro with neurodiverse minds coming to that as well, which is just so precious to us. And my husband runs um, jazz programming with the Solar Jazz. And so we're getting Berkeley and Northborough, essentially. Um, and that's really fantastic. I was referring to Trinity Church. Yes. In addition to First Parish. Yes. That people recognize that there's many of them within town. Yes, absolutely. And we also at First Parish have a Russian-trained pianist. You cannot believe the level of music we get. Um, at church, Chopin, Schubert, it's just, it's marvelous. So music was always a part of the Lyceum and anything that I envisioned would always have live music and the musicians would be paid. If I have to pay them, I will pay them, but the musicians will be paid. Yeah, Michael. I think your idea, Kelly, is great about, tell me up top, it's not that heavy. It's mm -hmm. not gonna yeah. advice me. It's just a very neutral but pleasant and something people can talk about. I mean, we come to, and without any iPhones, and just say, we're going to analyze, we're going to evaluate here, we're just going to talk like creative thinkers and even critical thinkers, but in, in a positive, not, not a negative critical, but just to think in an analytical way. And that's something we're missing so much of us, is to have people out especially. Yep. I think it's important to not focus on what's wrong, but to really look at what can be righter. You know, what does it mean to live in community by asking those questions versus what's wrong with our community is really looking at what does it mean to be in a neighborly relationship. 
You know, um, I think we've gotten so far away from that. And um, my husband and I lived in a community where we never knew the people around us. Nobody ever came to say hello and nobody ever said goodbye. You know, because Framingham just seemed more transient. And I just, um, I, I don't enjoy that. So when our neighbors moved into the Grange Hall, there were what, eight or 10 of us that went down there with cake and flowers and got to meet them and celebrate them restoring this home and getting to know them. And it's, it's, um, it's how I want to live. Do you? Would you like that too? Yeah. My dear. young people could go and meet other young people and have like a swing night or you know those are, I, I do think we have an epidemic of loneliness um, in young people mm -hmm. in young men who don't know who don't date you know it's it, I just think there were a lot of things we don't even recognize but like I hear from people you know I hear from other young people and we I just don't see us moving in that direction of like rebuilding community level institutions that Right. And Vivek Murthy, our current Surgeon General, wrote a delightful, wonderful, powerful book called Together on the Pandemic of Social Isolation. And that came out before this pandemic, which only ever added to social isolation as we sheltered in place for COVID. But you're right, it is a very, very serious problem. Um, and one that will be economically buckling too if we really don't take a look at it because the more people who become demented simply because they live alone, you know, is obviously adding and actually dementia is the one diagnosis that can bankrupt Medicare by itself. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's a big part of that there um, because I ask the students when I go into this classroom, how many times a week do you get to eat with your family, eat as a family, and it's modest. And so the Massachusetts uh, Intramural Athletic Association actually has a tremendous amount of power. Um, and so if, they, if students don't attend athletic events, on a Sunday morning at 7 a.m. in Milton or whatever, then they lose their placements in those teams. And so it's those kind of schedules that have really started to tear apart families where you're running in several directions for activities and trying to keep up and, and not, it's, they've started to mandate um, what happens out, schools have mandated what happens outside of the school day and families don't. The origin of Tabletop Company a couple of weeks early this century, um, or last century, uh, got together um, and they started making pies. And, they, and the name came up as Tabletop because they wanted a product 
that would pull people together at the table and talk. Hmm. That's, that's, that's a neat. That's the origin of the uh, table talk. Yeah. Be talking around the table, so the ties would pull people in to do that. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. They do everything together as a family, and they're a tight-knit family. But between the homework demands, athletic demands, and arts demands, then it's shredding the days, and children don't sleep well. Um, and sleep is actually a brainstem level function, so nothing of a higher order works well when we are sleep-deprived. Um, and yet schools compromise sleep. Um, and this generation, in fact, for the prop probably for the last six to eight years, um, children have come into college and they absolutely have no respect for sleep. They'll say, I'll sleep when I die. It's like, well, it will happen a lot faster <laughs> for you if, you if you don't take care of this. And, and it's also hard to be rational, logical, thoughtful, and considerate if you're unslept. You know, it's just, it's just my idea. So again, I was going to partner with Kim before she died such an untimely and young death. I'm hoping to find people that would help me create this and I don't think it would take much because it is economical because we do have all this talent here in town. Um, because I have talked to people like Mitch Cohen and um, uh, Jeannie and Joe Zaya and Greg Martineau to get their ideas. I have a thousand ideas. They just need to get operationalized. And I don't think so it would take that much. That is in the works. It's, it's two orbits from, from actually getting done. Okay. But I hope that there would be interest and generate interest here and maybe even somebody that would step forward and say I would help with the social media or, or I would help in whatever part. But I was thinking of getting the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts involved and always, always keeping the value, the covenant I have with creating this is for it to be intergenerational. That's really important to me. So I know it's getting late and I keep looking at Laura's daughter and it's like, I'm so sorry, honey. <laughs> but I thank you very much. I would look forward to your ideas. <laughs>